Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The world's longest running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. It's just after 8, it's pretty much exactly 8 o'clock actually here in the UK. Darkness fell quite some time ago, but it's still quite light outside Hindhoff Towers. We've had a good, well more than dusting of snow today. Temperatures never above freezing, mostly around about the minus 4, minus 5 degrees Celsius mark. But it's a warm welcome to Series 13, Episode 8 of Midweek Motorsports, uh, wherever you are in the world. in the north you're uh, sitting out on the patio with your shirt off. Well, pretty much, yes. Well, I was earlier, but, you know, I've had to come in now to do, to do this. Uh, that voice was our executive producer up in London, Tim Gray. Good evening, Tim. Good evening, John. How's the uh, how's the big smoke today? Did you have snow there? Uh, in places, there has been some snow, yes. Excellent. Okay, very good. And on but a it pa- was all very early this morning. And on a packed programme? I've been falling for a while. On a packed programme tonight? Uh, we have all the usual features. Excellent. Uh, uh, including the news. Good. Uh, we might have some news in Spanish. We might have a pointless press release of the week. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll be saying welcome back after his absence last week to uh, Nick Damon. Yes, that's all to come. Good in. evening, Nick. Hang on a second, if you if you needed to tell me. Good evening, Nick Damon. Ah, good evening, John. Good evening, Tim. Good evening, everybody from from after midnight, but in a very much warmer place than you are. Yes, and all the time that we didn't need you on air, your connection was perfect, and now it's got a bit funny. So I'm going to read because he's listening to music on the reverse. I'm uh, okay, fine. Um, uh, right, okay. Uh, let's do a bit of. Housekeeping before we go. Right turn liver. Uh, right turn liver. Right turn lover. Listening from Switzerland. Hopswies. Or Hupschweiz. Uh, nice and warm on the sofa. He had minus 12 degrees Celsius this morning. But the beast from the east, the blowing through of the wind from Siberia, seems to have passed through. Apparently. Uh, listening live tonight. Rob Jane. Hello, Rob. Nice to know that you're in. Richard Parsons. Richard S. Parsons. Uh, no apologies tonight uh, either. Uh, Alexander Orkins, a bit late, but I'll be joining before the second hour. Oh, I shouldn't have done that now, really. Uh, hello to Chris Humphreys, who was just listening to uh, Andy there from McLaren Automotive. Fuel cap on each side, 4 litre via twin turbo. Shout out FIAWEC and the GT Pro. Uh, he said, yes, we hinted to that, didn't we? We were expecting some kind of announcement from McLaren at Geneva. Uh, coming up, go to dailysportscar.com for a little more news on that. I did you ask might not that question. To because uh, we've got uh, Graham Goodwin coming up in the second hour, so right. let's see if he can tell us something. Well, okay. Uh, what else have we got on there? That'll do, I think, for the time. But you've got some housekeeping as well, haven't you? Uh, yes. Uh, first of all, just to prove that we are live tonight mm. in the football. Uh, it's been postponed because of uh, snow. Ah, yes. Uh, Excellent. 
and also a bit of background information that might help listeners outside of the UK to understand some of our stories later on. First of all, the distance from Edinburgh in Scotland to London is just over 600 kilometres by the shortest route, with around 4 kilometres of ascent. Secondly, the UK Parliament is made up of two houses. The lower house, the House of Commons, contains 650 elected members, mostly directly elected on a local basis via a first-past-the-post system, uh, although a different system applies in Northern Ireland. In the run-up to an election, known as the qualifying period, prospective parliamentary candidates are restricted into what they're allowed to say or publish, and all publicity material is responsible to receive their agent. The nice. upper house, the House of Lords, contains peers appointed officially by the Queen, but really by the government of the day, in numbers reflecting the makeup of the Commons, as well as bishops of the Anglican Church, who sit with the government but don't necessarily vote with the government, and 92 hereditary peers, there used to be many more, but they were culled in 1999 when numbers were approaching 1,400, and now 90 of the remaining 92 are elected by other members of the House. Despite the cull, the Lords is still the only upper chamber in a bicameral parliamentary system anywhere in the world that outnumbers the respective lower chamber. Hmm. John? Uh, I'm not sure what, uh, why we need that, but it will become clear later. Carol Brink and Kevin Brink listening, both from a sunny and warm 12 degrees Celsius in Monterey. Hello, Kevin. Nice to have you uh, at home for this. And Jesse's also on the West Coast, uh, just after noon there as well. Let's uh, kick things off with a bit of news. Oh, no, hang on, hang on. Don't hit that jingle yet. I want to say hello to Dan from Spinnyfields. Uh, Dan came up and spoke to my dad, who's been spending a bit of time in Spinnyfields, although Hindhoff Senior is now uh, pretty much restored to health. Thank you to everybody at Kettering General Hospital, Dean A and B, the surgical team there, uh, and uh, everywhere he's been since, frankly, uh, but particularly to the people at Spinnyfields who have been looking after him most recently. And Dan went and said hello to him uh, before he was released on bail uh, before <laughs> my dad was tunnelled his way out in I think it was Tom Dick and Harry had been found uh, so thanks Dan and uh, thanks for listening uh, let's crack on with the news all the latest motorsport news from around the world midweek motorsport I dread to think what the top story is tonight Tim but uh, give it a go well it's not just a motorsport related story but it also uh, attracts me because I am a proper journalist and I pro- probably watch too much John Oliver. Right. Uh, so this is about fake news and attempts to rewrite history to expunge details of things that really happened just because some people find them embarrassing. Ah. It's going to require a bit of a big build-up, so let me explain without interruption. Right, oh, no, it's fine. I think, we, I think I might have been talking to Nick about this earlier. Lord Hesketh. He of the Hesketh Formula One team and later Hesketh Motorcycles was a hereditary peer until 1999. In fact, he was actually Baron Hesketh, or specifically Thomas Alexander Fermor Hesketh, the third Baron Hesketh, a title he inherited from his father Frederick, aged four. Right. Frederick was unique in being pretty much the only Fermor Hesketh or Hesketh not called Thomas, going all the way back to the 16th century. Right. He had been the son of Thomas Fermor Hesketh, the first Baron Hesketh, who himself was the son of Thomas George Fermor Hesketh, the seventh baronet, son of Thomas George Fermor Hesketh, the fifth baronet, was the son of Thomas Hesketh, the fourth baronet, and so on. All of the Thomases were members of Parliament, except right. for the seventh baronet, who was High Sheriff of Northamptonshire. Oh, okay. The current Baron Hesketh... Which is where the Hesketh estate is, of course, in North Yes. yes. The uh, current Baron Hesketh no longer lives or owns the uh, Hesketh estate, uh, and is no longer a member of Parliament, but he is still a politician for the extreme right UK Independence Party. Right. Walter Hesketh was also an extreme right politician. 
Right. As far as I can tell, he was no relation to the uh, recent Fermor Hescus, although there may well have been a common ancestor, given that I can trace the family back over 400 years. He had been a successful cross-country runner, winning the English title in four different age categories, and is most famous for running from Edinburgh to London in 62 hours in a pair of slippers. Ah, okay. That's an average of less than nine minutes a mile for a distance of 15 marathons. That's pretty impressive. In a pair of slippers. In a pair of slippers. Yes. You wouldn't want to run one marathon in a pair of slippers, would you? I wouldn't want to run a mile in a pair of slippers, mate. I wouldn't want to run to the end of the road in a pair of slippers, to be honest. Right. Uh, Now, Walter also stood uh, for the union movement in the 1961 Mossside by-election, and his views on race and immigration, including the claim that tuberculosis was caused by Jamaicans, were sent out (laughs) in a pamphlet published by his election agent, which has been uncovered this week by a national newspaper. Right. In court a, a decade ago, that election agent said it was, quote, absolute nonsense to suggest that he would have approved a pamphlet that said that coloured immigrants spread diseases and that he, quote, did not recall whether the leaflet urged the government to, quote, send blacks home. Right. That election agent was Max Mosley. Ah! And the trial a decade ago was the one where he sued the news of the world for wrongly suggesting that a sadomasochistic sex party he'd arranged with five prostitutes and been involved in back in 2007 had been Nazi-themed. Yeah, and he's trying to strike that from history, wasn't it? I heard him on the radio the other day doing this. Nick and I were talking about this um, before the start of the programme. It's extraordinary, isn't it? Why doesn't he just let it lie, Nick? Uh, if I can interject here... Go on, then. Two weeks ago, Mosley threatened the owners of five daily British newspapers, The Times, The Sun, The Daily Mirror, The Daily Record and The Daily Mail, with legal action, insisting that they stop publishing details of the party and the court case and remove the related news stories from the last 11 years from their archives and websites. Yeah. The 77-year-old claims that data protection and privacy laws require the press to stop disseminating information about him that is not in the public interest. But media lawyers, as well as the newspaper owners, say his demand is an attempt to rewrite history. The Times described Mosley's action as an attack on press freedom and said Mosley wants a newspaper to purge its online archives of the references to the News of the World (laughs) trial. Stephen Glover, who's the former editor of The Independent and a journalist whose books on the subject of journalism, a required reading by all journalism students, said it was a dark story about how one very wealthy man is trying to undermine the freedoms enjoyed by the press. And Mark Stevens, senior partner and media lawyer at Howard Kennedy, told the Guardian newspaper that if the data protection complaint were to succeed, it would have serious implications, quote, effectively people will be able to airbrush history. In terms of using the law, this is entirely novel. Finally, talking to ITN, uh, Max Mosley admitted the line, the coloured immigration threatens your children's health, is probably a bit racist. Ah! Master of understatement. Yeah. Um, I, why, why won't he let it lie? Uh, I assume he Googles it himself uh, regularly and it always comes up with um, Nazi-themed sex party and not man who did several clever things for s- safety improvements in F1 and, and also um, managed to sell the rights for not enough money. I will say one thing, though. For all his flaws, of which there are millions, mm-hmm. he's still a way better FIA president than Jean Top. Well, he got things done, didn't he? He didn't bury his head in the sand and just try and get a, and try and get a bloody Nobel Prize, did he? No. Uh, um, uh, yeah. 
Yes. And okay. Odie's, I kind of, you kind of wonder, yeah, where where he got the idea of uh, of crushing the press and uh, just controlling the the news. Now, where where, <laughs> where, in his, where in his family would someone have ever thought that was that was a good idea? You're not uh, suggesting it's genetic, know. Nick, are you? No, don't, don't I'm leave it, no, leave I'm, it, I'm, leave I'm, it, I'm, move on, I'm, move on. I was just talking about that the other day, in fact, and I I had he was on BBC Radio News in the UK, and he was on the World Service as well. So many of you who listen to BBC World Service might have heard it extraordinary why he just won't let it lie um, but he won't Simple because thing. every time he brings this up it gives us an, uh, another reason to, to play uh, Dirty Sexy Mosley play Dirty Sexy Mosley and uh, refer to that uh, sex orgy with uh, Nick? five prostitutes uh, who, arranged, who arranged that meeting in a hotel in uh, Milton Keynes near to where um, Nick lives um, and what we understand, it was all sprung by Ron Dennis or his agents. That's the uh, very strong rumour. Allegedly. Allegedly. I say allegedly, but I think we... it's... Uh... But one thing I would say is, this is, is I can't remember the, the, the... There's a kind of a concept called the Barbara Streisand internet concert, isn't there? Where she was the first person to fall foul of the internet, where she got very upset because people were looking at... Had taken aerial photos of her house. So she told everyone not to look at aerial photos of her house. Mm. And then, of course, the internet... Everyone did. If Max Mosley had just taken it on the chin, or anywhere else, as it were, yes. Um, when it came out in the news, of the world. Fair enough. Argue the point. It wasn't Nazi theme, just prison officer theme. Not an issue. I understand why he might be said that. It's gone. Yep, I did it. But it's consenting adults. What are you going to do about? It? And and rocked on. We probably actually all respect him a lot more. And if it, but he keeps literally picking the scab of that wound, and everyone keeps remembering that he wasn't the man who did some quite good things for FIA safety. He was the bloke who had the prostitute sex party. Moving on. Uh, Fernando Alonso was fastest in pre-season testing at Barcelona today. Not sure what the subject is. Mm, yeah, is it, uh, my queue yet? I, I need my queue. I haven't lived for two weeks. I need my queue. Oh, yes. And, uh, and now, some Formula One news. Hey! Oh, yeah, thank you very much. That's that horribly. I'm yes, glad we skipped that originally. Still too close to the mic, Nick. Back off the mic a little bit, will you? Oh, OK. okay. I'm, I'm so Fernando Alonso was fastest in pre-season up. testing at Barcelona today. He did a lap time of 218.545. And the reason he was fastest, Nick, the was... A person did a time lap in a day that was snowed off and then rained off, and I think five cars went down and went round and trundled around the lap. And apparently, Alonso decided because there were quite a few people in to do ten laps at the end, um, relatively slow, just to entertain the Spanish fans, which is quite sweet. And always, obviously, it's always good for McLaren to get a top lap count for any day. But they they learned nothing. Though we learned something is the F1 team still can't agree on anything because they couldn't agree to extend the test by one day uh, to make up for this cancel test because they couldn't all agree to do it because some of them booked the track. To, book the track later in the weekend for a filming day where they're not allowed to go more than 150 kilometres an hour for more than 100 kilometres and that was more important than actually everyone getting a bit of chance to test their cars but there we go hey ho um, but it wasn't all sweetness and light for McLaren was it it was a bit of an embarrassing start to the Barcelona uh, uh, test well, well the first three days really have been um just not very good for anybody really because they've never had any sort of temperatures close to what they will um experience um uh in any race environment I think the, the highest track temperature has been seven degrees so far and the air temperature never even have two um so they never got to the cars in the operating uh, temperature the aerodynamics are completely different at cold temperatures they're blanking off the radiators which changes the uh, mm. the thermal flow um 
But within that, we saw, you know, a chunk of that's run by Ferrari with some, some pace, a chunk of that's run by by um, Mercedes with some pace, a chunk of that's by Red Bull. They had a couple of little problems yesterday. Uh, and then we were obviously waiting for the new dawn of McLaren, where they were going to do more laps than ever in the history of the world. And four laps, I think, into uh, uh, Monday morning, uh, they had one, but the wheel fell off. And there were three wheels on their wagon as a nut came uh, detached. And Alonso sat in the gravel uh, looking at the big brake drum. Go- well, it's not a brake drum. It's a disc brake, but it's covered in a drum. Yeah, uh, tin. Where, where be my wheel? And it had rolled off and they lost uh, two hours with a bit of eye. They say finger trouble. It was probably a, a latching method. But yeah, so they managed to then fall off. And, and then they had another problem yesterday as well when they, um, so, yeah, yes, it was, it, um, when they, um, had an exhaust come off so basically uh you know the, 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 probably the manifold got a bit loose which you know i remember the the best my triumph dollar might ever sound is when the manifold came loose it sounded fantastic for a bit um but that put hot air and melted them their wiring loom in fairness though who else had an oh, embarrassing start to the week there's many of those uh, the, the team um, sponsored what, by a watch company Oh, they were late for their own launch. Yes. Uh, yes. No, uh, no, Tag- they weren't. Yes, Tag- they were. Takoya Tag- Red Bull, who were doing their new... Well, they're very Aston Martin-y now. They've got massive Aston Martin logos. Um, and, they've and, changed, they were... and they've changed their livery, so that no, the original right. livery was just a launch livery, as we said it would be. I know, that's gone back to the same very... I'm very surprised, actually, because it is... You know, they're, they're, they're now and dynamic and wow and hip and Red Bull, and they've come out with the same dull liveries before, you know... I, I, I'm not a great one for livery wars, and there's been a little bit. Everyone, this whole concept, everyone wants a McLaren to be orange. Really? I mean, but the last papaya McLaren, love papaya. Yeah, last one that was orange, really, for any success, was a Can Am Lotus in what about 1974? And a Can Am what? A Can Am what? McLaren, sorry. Yes. And and um, how many people hand on heart actually were watching motorsport 43 years ago, following sport in America? Um, yeah, this is just this is just you know, rose-tinted glasses. I mean, if we're really honest. If you have are of any sort of age, like my age, McLaren were the colours, red and white colours of a cigarette company. If you're a bit younger, they were silver, the colours of another cigarette company. Mm. Um, you know, they haven't been papaya really since since sponsorship was invented. So you know, and 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 sponsors. You spoke about sponsors there. They announced a big sponsorship with a computer company, but it's not still not much on the side of that car, is there? But then there's not supposed to be now, is there? Apparently not. Apparently, uh, well, apparently, if you have vast swathes of orange, with, sorry, papaya, uh, with nothing on them, that that just proves what a great job you're doing, Z Brown Esquire. Um, no, it's it's there were a noticeable lack of. Um, you know, sponsor a number of the cars. Um, a bit more on Renault this year. I think that they could be contras, obviously. And obviously, the Sauber is looking resplendent in its Alfa Romeo uh, livery. I think why well, I've mentioned that. Um, but you weren't here last week when we talked about that. Is there enough red on it to be a real Alfa Romeo? Well, don't forget, they have to keep themselves um, differentiated from Ferrari. So they have to make it... it Ferrari have stripped off a lot of their white this year. Um, so uh-huh. they're obviously trying to make sure the cars are very uh, are as different as possible. So I think they will find there is a, a bit of collusion uh, between the two Italian sister brands. And Ferrari have less white on their car. And obviously there's a big chunk of white on the Sauber. So it just makes it easy to identify which one's which. But the big question is, do Ferrari have their gold wheels yet? Oh, if only. We'll find out. But uh, whatever they are, they're probably aerodynamically edged with special um, marking. Yeah, But um, 
Mm. Uh, that's Nick Damon. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport on RS1, part of the Radio Show Limited network of channels. This is Series 13, Episode 8, and Tim Gray, our executive producer up in London, is going to take us to our next item. Are we staying with Formula 1? Uh, yes, a little bit of trivia. <laughs> right. Uh, because it is this month uh, that we saw the first uh, sponsored car in Formula 1 However many years ago it was. Gold Leaf Lotus? No, was that uh, 40 60, years ago? 67? 50 years ago. 67? 68. 68. Okay. Yeah. 68. We're either side of it. Mm. <laughs> okay. Uh, why does Pierre Gasly look like he's been dragged through a thorn bush? Uh, because he's not been dragged through a thorn bush, or because he's, he's banged his head on the halo, he's um, uh, not been using the correct hair product of the sponsor you tell me it's because uh he keeps uh, ripping his race suit on the uh, halo oh it is oh, see i thought you meant his hair was bad but it is because he's ripping his race suit on the halo yeah well, it, it just obviously i would have thought the halo should have been quite smooth really round tubes so i wonder what he's catching on well they're not all round tubes are they because some of the teams have decided to make some uh, aerodynamic uh, modifications to them and have put little serrated edges across the top yes oh i thought that was to stop pigeons sitting on it um that was what that was for mm. is that only for mclaren because they'll be sitting around it, in gravel traps a lot having a serrated <laughs> uh, top uh, apparently uh, stops the uh, disturbance to the airflow going into the airbox. So they can yeah, feel a disturbance... Sorry, Nick. So they can feel a disturbance in the force, can they? <laughs> On the subject of the yeah. force... Yes. Uh, oh, force. We have the launch of the VJM11. Mm-hmm. Which Still is, haven't uh, changed their name, though, Nick. Pink. Team, have they? Well, no, we, they haven't announced their name. We right. don't know what the team is called, so we can say that a team that is based in Silverstone yep. has launched the VJM11 and mm. that it's pink. But the reason they won't say what their name is because they're worried about cyber squatters. They've been cyber squatted. When they suggested a few names uh, last year, instantly some little wag registered all the domain names. So f one tfiocom So they now have to think up something completely different, not tell anybody and get the domain names before anyone else could. Haven't they also got to get everyone else on the grid, all the other teams, to agree to it? Theoretically, that, that, that's one of the few things people tend to do because it's, it's, it's a back-scratching situation and they all know each other. They, they may need the help from each other. So they're going to be called back-scratching Formula One, are they? Well, in fairness, that would, be, would, that would probably be quite... At least, at least that, have no, that would have no uh, some, uh, connotation of linking with India, which apparently is the problem we call Force India. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, right, the India thing is stopping sponsors. So I didn't know that we had uh, McLaren India because there's something well, well, else is stopping their sponsors. Um, so it, so something with force in it, or is it going to be F1 BWT or something like that? I presume they've already done their BWT deal, and it didn't include naming the the team. Well, you never the the the, the entrant is never named, but it has not been named for the sponsor for so how many years? It's it's sponsor entrant entrant engine, so it's Martini. Williams Mercedes is the uh, Martini Racing Williams Mercedes is the en- is the official entry, right? With the chassis in the middle. Uh, VJ Malia has said a name with more an international flavour would help attract more sponsors. So Force Global, maybe. Well, I think well he needs, but given his problems, he, he needs Force Majeure, doesn't he? <laughs> oh, very good, very good. 
Uh, I bet I better go register that. Otmar Schnaf Schnafnoa. Yes, world's least easy person's name to pronounce. Um, he says, we haven't quite decided uh, on the name yet and it needs to go through formal approval and that hasn't been done yet. We'll see. There's a probability Brian. it'll change by the first race. Just quit Brian. Brian the car. Brian. That's a great idea. In that, in the same way as certain radio stations have called themselves Bob and Tim. Yeah. yeah. Brian. And then obviously, if, if it ever gets stuck in the... Uh, um, the stop and go area go release Brian <laughs> very good um, it is the Tim Cup tonight I noticed in Italy uh, I watched the first uh, semi-final second semi-final on at the moment uh, moving on Tim Gray what do you have for us hello Tim uh, sorry I'm just re- uh, registering uh, Brian doc- brianf1.com <laughs> very good uh, uh, yours, uh, hang on a second hang on um, add speculatement your ideas please for the <laughs> new name for Force India. All right, keep, the, them clean, the, keep them clean. Keep them clean. I want to be able to broadcast them. Uh, and Adrian Michael Reese says, by the way, um, on is is the halo on that car now a potato peeler? Excellent. <laughs> uh, very good. Uh, and uh, did I just hear Heidi say formula approval? Yes, formal approval. Very good. Um, uh, so your thoughts, please. Uh, at Specutainment for the new name for Force India. Keep them clean. Uh, Tim, what do you have? Formula One's going over the top. <laughs> but not everywhere. Uh, no. No. They've been uh, shot down in certain places. Mm. But it will appear in uh, about two dozen markets, including Austria, Belgium, France, Hungary, uh, Germany, Mexico and Latin America. Uh, it'll be a commercial-free live stream of race qualifying and practice with multi-language commentary in English, French, German and Spanish and exclusive access to all 20 onboards. Um, and the, uh, also, if you buy the pro version, you'll get all of the support races over the weekend as well. Now, this is all down to what we've been talking about for a while, Nick, isn't it? The end of some of the Bernie Eccleston era television deals that has seen, for example, in the US, ESPN be given the broadcast television deal, but no digital rights and liberty of taking them back on board. And they've got a very interesting business case with this. Yeah, I mean, it's um, yeah, it takes me back, doesn't it? An idea of an over-the-top sort of channel providing extra extra content uh, above and beyond the world fee. When, 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 when did that ever happen before? Bernie TV. Um, that's right. Uh, but this time, obviously, I think it, it is much more the time is right when certainly in 1997, the time was about, well, obviously, 21 years too early. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a natural progression for the sport to, to embrace the effectively the Internet broadcasting age. Yeah, the, the, the model has been proven with Netflix and uh, Amazon Prime. People are prepared to watch things using devices, be it a smart TV or just on a tablet or, or a computer. They are lim- they have been limited in what territories they, they can actually get into by the existing contracts with Bernard Charles, that Bernard Charles Eccleston signed. And the most testing of those for them will, of course, be the fact that the UK is actually, I've just checked, John, after our earlier conversation, signed up solid till 2024 with Sky, yeah. not 2021. Yeah. But other countries, and interesting countries like Germany, which, is, which has historically been a huge market, they um, Sky Germany was dropped from their contract at the end of the year. RTL... Well, Sky refused uh, to uh, re-sign uh, for much of the same reasons that NBC did. Because they were being offered it with, without the digital rights. Yes. Yeah. Well, and therefore they were dropped. RTL did re-sign. RTL had to watch F1 in Germany do a very good job, apart from the fact they're very keen on seven-minute breaks. 
um, which they take regularly. But it is good. I mean, Kai Abel and his uh, World of Amazing Jackets will continue to be broadcast around the world. The biggest um, news f- is this, and from what I've been seeing on social media, is the interest that this is getting in the States because from somewhere between 8 to $12 a month, you will be able to watch Formula One without any breaks. Um, mm. Now, do we know, are they going to be doing their own commentaries through that, or will they just pick off the, the sound from the English, German, French, we and Spanish? We don't yet know. Right, okay. We don't yet know. But we do but know that they've pretty... employed commentators. Oh, do, have, do we? In all of those languages? Uh, I know they've employed English language commentators. Whether or well, not those not commentators have which, been employed for the English purpose of commentating, ah, yes. or whether they have been employed well, we're, for we're, other things, everybody, is another Everybody matter. knows Will Buxton's got the job, so let, we're not breaking any embargoes. The whole world knows Will Buxton's going to be I think we might actually terms. be breaking an embargo, even if the whole world does know what Will's about. Well, more importantly, I've never well, read the embargo, and I just know him on Twitter, so... He, he's been saying that he's going to be back in front of a television camera at, at F1. He's been tweeting that. He's so also been he saying he's not allowed to, to tell us who he's working for yet. But then, well, yeah, but then we can speculate on we that. Can. And and I would think it's a reasonable bet, if you can get your money on now, that Will will be doing something with the new OTT English language. Well, whether that yeah. will be presenting the programme up until the interstitial and then handing over to the English language commentary team, or whether he'll be actually doing the commentary. And he did do commentary in the support series for quite a long time. Um, and uh, got to know everybody. He was pretty good at that. Formula 2 and Formula, sorry, GP2, Formula two and GP3 have been done by a guy called Alex James. Alex James Jakes. has been doing that. This Alex year, Jakes. This year. Mm. Jakes, sorry, he's been this year. I mean, This yeah, is English but, language we're talking about here. Yeah, you, can all, you can all be plus or minus what you think about him, but he's obviously... Uh, Knows, knows his way around Biggin Hill, so there's a good chance he'll be retaining some. My, my answer was the OTT service was going to improve, a, was going to include, sorry, a full proper build up and then um, hand over at the you know the swirly graphic to something else. Now, whether that is now changed and they're going to actually use, not use a Sky or whatever it is, a local commentary. And don't forget, of course, I suppose in Germany, they probably would need to find their own commentators because RTL's commentators, as I said, are stopping for seven minutes at a time on a regular basis. Um, so I think it's um, it, it'd be interesting to see what happens on the languages. But my, my, my I mean, the interesting thing is they're only ta- they're targeting and they've got a huge proportion of the world to shoot at. They're targeting five million subscribers. And you think, oh, that's, that's, a, that's a good number. It's great, five million subscribers. Mm. But they're all paying going to pay a minimum of a hundred dollars a year. So that's five hundred million dollars. Yeah, coming in from this probably by year two. But the, but the, the keeping the good business model because the actual the on cost because they're already there doing the world feed yeah. is not massive. And it's it's actually you know when you consider how much people pay for satellite subscription. Um, you know, most people in the UK, if they've got a full subscription, are somewhere near a hundred pounds, which is a hundred and forty dollars uh, a month, and they're talking about ten to twelve dollars a month. This, you know, this that's not that much. Uh, how much did we say it was, Tim? Do you remember how much was the Monte Carlo Rally? Wasn't it seventy euros or something to watch the Monte Carlo Rally live? So I mean, that was the whole season, wasn't it? No, no, that WRC? was just that was just the one rally, I think. No, I'm pretty sure that was the whole season. Right, okay. Um, anyway, the, uh, the $10 to $12, 8 to $12, I don't know. You tell me, at Specutainment. Uh, uh, this from Alan Prosser, don't let the British public roast on a new, vote on a new name for Force India. They'll probably come up with Forcey McForceface, which I actually really quite like. <laughs> 
fantastic. Uh, I, you... I, I was thinking about in the, in the spirit of the hashtag Me Too, should they become Ask Nicely India? Uh, yes. Yeah, but not with anything with India. Ask, oh, ask right. nicely everybody. Ask nicely the world. Yes. Force, force, force the world. Force the world to do what? Uh, the world. Yes. Oh, um, any, any other uh, points of? Um, oh, plenty. No, on the OTT stuff. No. Uh, yes, you okay. mentioned eight to twelve dollars. Uh, yep. The twelve dollar version is uh, the all singing, all dancing one that we've been discussing. The eight dollar one. And just obviously, gets... the one that I want. If it's really all singing, all dancing, that's my show. It has jazz hands just for you. Uh, Nick admitted to me uh, yesterday that uh, in uh, two weeks' time he's going to the theatre to see something. You won't I, tell I am, me what. I, no, it's a, it's a play. It's fresh in the Edinburgh Fringe. Excellent. Moving on. It can't be that fresh. Edinburgh Fringe finished five months ago. Yes. Yeah, it takes, it, takes the love, it, it does takes not a take while. a long time to get from Northampton because there's Walter... Uh, yes, has, in his slippers, Hesketh proved in his slippers. You can do it in sixty-two hours. Uh, he's not foot. carrying a stage set, is he? He's just carrying slippers. Can I just gently nudge you back to this Formula One on the internet thing? The, so the twelve dollars, eight dollar version right. uh, gets you uh, live timing, radio commentary, and extended highlights. So they're going to do radio commentary as well, yes. or, th- or they're just going to pinch that from somewhere else as well? I think uh, we know the unique uh, company that will be making that. What, as well as the BBC stuff, or instead of? Or instead of? I think uh, it will be the same content. Right, okay, because they used to provide, the BBC radio content used to be the world feed TV commentary as well, didn't it? Which is why it was no good for radio most of the time. But that's not the case now. It's, that's, it's that's... been the version that's been on Sirius XM last season. Uh, I don't think it was on Sirius XM last yes, season. Yes, it was. Was it? Yeah. I couldn't find it. Uh, look harder. Uh, let's move on to this. <laughs> Good morning, Vietnam! Hey, hey this, this is, is not a, a test. test. This, this is, is rock and roll. roll. Formula One. I'm going to rock you from the Delta to the DMZ. Denang me, denang me. Why don't you get a rope and hang me? You missed the line about that. Sounds like an Elvis musical. Yeah. Uh, Hanoi is close to signing a deal to have a Formula One race in 2019. Of course it is. Yeah. Just what they need. The circuits, got, you know, they, they, they throw the money at that. The circuit's already been approved by the FIA. Okay. I mean, the, uh, why not a Vietnamese Grand Prix? We've got Grand Prix in many other governments who don't hold elections but want to publicise themselves, so go for it. Uh, this story comes from Automotor und Sport, uh, and it also includes news uh, that uh, Buenos Aires will have a Grand Prix next year, which I believe we reported last week. Yes, we did. Yes, we did. And it says the third new Grand Prix in uh, 2019 will be in Miami. The so they Miami. Mm. Because, because apparently the... Um, who's dropping... Is anyone dropping out this year? No. No. We, no, no they, but they, they, and, and, the, and Nürburgring is, well, it's, it wants it back again next year, doesn't it? Yes. So it's actually not... They're not dropping the German Grand Prix. So we're going to 24 next year, are we? I'd yes. be surprised if we go straight to 24. I thought we'd probably go in stages to the 25 Super Bowls a year. Yeah. It's that seventh game moment. Uh, by the way, uh, Sirius XM only broadcast Formula One last year from the circuit of the Americas race onwards. They didn't do the first part of the season. I thought they didn't because I was looking for it earlier on in the year. However, they are doing it for 2018 and it will be the Five Live back again, which is what it used to be ages ago, which I thoroughly appreciate. 
Hall of America. Find out who Joe Palmer is then. Uh, yes, because it will be uh, Jack Nichols, Tom Clarkson, and Joe no Palmer. No, 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 Tom Clarkson. All right. He's working for the OTT service. Oh, is he? Am I allowed to say well, that? Well, in yet? fairness, yes. right? No, okay. in fairness, Bernie owes him. And yeah. F1 owes him because he left his job at F1 Racing to go to go to Bernie's magazine, which then shut down after four issues, leaving him out of all his jobs. Uh, and don't forget, XM Series also covers, uh, also takes our coverage, uh, RS2 IMSA radio coverage of all the uh, WeatherTech sports car championship as well. Uh, IMSA WeatherTech, uh, as I found out when I was listening on my way down to the airport after at the end of the. Uh, at the end of the Rolex 24. It was very good. I enjoyed it. Um, so, right, uh, Adrian Cronauer is going to Formula One, apparently. He will be the voice of the radio broadcast, presumably. On the you? OTT app, maybe. Yes, absolutely. That's the way to do it. Uh, Nicky has bought Nicky. Back. Oh, has he? Yes. We talked about he this has. a few weeks ago, didn't we? Yes. He loves an airline, doesn't he? It, it Can't keep his hands off today uh, that... Uh, Nicky Lauda has uh, completed a deal to buy back uh, insolvent Austrian airline Nicky uh, that he sold to Air Berlin uh, a few years ago. Mm. Takes my breath away. That news uh, comes from uh, the insolvency manager Lucas Flöter. A lot of people going. There's a lot of things going bust these days. You know, I, where am I going to buy those last-minute widgets now? But now Maplin's, Maplin's gone. gone and Toys R Us today. I think I mean, Toys R Us, is, Toys R Us you kind of, because uh, like, my kids are now, you know, uh, 20 and 15, that's not an that, issue that's anymore. That's why Maplin's, Toys R Us has Maplin's. gone bankrupt. Yeah, it yes. could be, actually. Yeah, but Maplin is not the same as it used to be. No, but it's still going great for going in for a quid's worth of widgets. No, because you can't buy anything that cheap. It's They've moved to all these uh, high-profile, high-rent city centre locations, put up the prices because they weren't getting the volume, uh, and... Uh, therefore haven't have been making even fewer sales they need to go back to their out of town shops selling diodes for 15p there we are and tim is available to become the new md of uh, matt plins just give me a ring mr insolvency lawyer i am looking at my 26 multi-purpose tool kit that i bought for one pound fifty which always used to go in my uh, go bag in 1994 no 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 it was not that far long ago it's about four years ago but it's not much longer than that anyway um, moving on. Single seaters still. Okay. Uh, and uh, GP3 had its first test. Did it? The, somewhere, uh, somewhere not covered in snow? Of the season. It's, this was last week. Ah. And it was at the uh, Paul Ricard circuit at Le Castellet. Uh, Antoine Hubert was the uh, fastest overall over the two days. Mm-hmm. These uh, are people I don't know yet, so... Yes, there's a few you will uh, recognise on here because That's you've it. got uh, Nikita Marzipan and yes. uh, Carl Eilert. Nikita Marzipan, who of course ran the uh, first day for Force India. Yes. Or, and not Force India, obviously. The team that... In the, in like, the BJM11, yes. What we, I've just realised, we should just have them as a squiggle. So like Prince, it's a team formerly known as Force India. Uh, we've got Well Done Baku seeing Force Patsy, <laughs> which is quite nice. I like that. Uh, Monty Python reference there for those that didn't know. Mm-hmm. Moving on. Uh, add Speggytainment, by the way, for Force India's new name. Can't have India in it. Can't. Uh, or Force. Can it not have Force in it either? Mm. I think that's the reason why they. Uh, now, the India thing was the. Uh, yeah, but the reason they didn't. Because they wanted to go to Force F1. Because they can't, they can't do that now because uh, someone else registered the domain. <sighs> 
How about they go? How about they 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 talk about their aerodynamics and call themselves Air Force One? Very good. <laughs> Very good. And they pet the cars orange then, couldn't they? Mm. As well. That'd be tremendous. Be tremendous. <laughs> Absolutely the greatest team ever. Ever. They're really great guys. Ever. Really quick. Moving on. Orange or papaya? Orange. No, no, orange. <laughs> orange, you guys, you place that. Place you said that. Moving on. Uh, Callum Islet is uh, the other ART car. Right. Um, also, uh, names you might recognise uh, Tatiana Calderon. Yeah. Uh, Dorian Boccalacci. Right. Another returning driver. What's this in? Formula 2? Uh, GP3. GP3, sorry. Right. Uh, and uh, you might recognise the name Pedro Piquet. Which Piquet which is that then? This is the younger brother of Nelsinho. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. Remember that Nelson Piquet has seven children. Right. With four mothers. Right. I believe. I, I just want to move on from that so quickly. Because the GP3 so paddock will gather next at Hareth on March the 14th and 15th. Hareth! <laughs> There's no danger of Pedro Pique accidentally spinning Stop. into a, uh, a barrier because he wants no assumption. Stop. You can fade him down, John. <laughs> Do it if you need to. Uh, I, I'm now holding him down at minus 20. Nigel Mansell CBE and Murray Walker OBE yep. are to open the Thruxton Centre. Is that at Thruxton by any chance? It is. Right. It's the uh, new hospitality building, which is uh, being opened on the 50th anniversary of the uh, opening of the circuit. At Britain's fastest track. Yes. Hmm. Uh, it's a £2 million state-of-the-art facility and will be officially opened at midday on Sunday the 3rd of June by the 31-time Grand Prix winner and his lifelong friend... The wi- you mean the winner of 31 Grand Prix? I'm, I'm, I'm now starting a campaign to stop people doing that horrible thing of saying something time when it's once, twice, three twice. times, right? Possibly thrice, yes, or triple, quadruple, all that sort of things. Triple Has and fight. thrice have very different meanings. Okay. Okay, they're not very different, but they do have distinctively different <laughs> meanings. But I'm not having this five-time champion. It's nonsense. He has won the championship five times. It's as bad as leadingest, which we had last week. I think leadingest is worse. That. What's that, Nick? You got re- yeah, you win it, then you repeat, then you three-peat. No, no, no you don't. You the no, you don't. And you don't meddle either. You'll not oh. be meddling anywhere. Muttley meddles. Be the winningest. Mm. The winningest driver ever. No, we had the leadingest last week. That was... that was <laughs> You weren't here. That was to go in the Nictionary. Denny Hamlin, wasn't it? Yeah. But anyway, moving on. The winner of 31 Grand Prix. We officially opened at midday on Sunday, June Grand 3rd, Prix. by the 1992 Formula One world champion Nigel Mansell, alongside his lifelong friend, Murray Walker OBE. It would be so hard, Murray. Um, yeah. Yes, good, excellent. That is the weekend of the Le Mans test. Mansell said, I remember Thruxton very I fondly think. from my early racing days as a very fast, demanding circuit, where I enjoyed several exciting and successful races. Right, lovely. Murray Wal- Ever since I've been a small boy, I wanted to open a hospitality centre at Thruxton. Almost certainly. Sounds like a very, very standard press release response, that does. Yes. Doesn't sound anything like Nigel either. Uh, Murray Walker said, I've been commentating at Thruxton since the early 1950s. I bet he said it more excitedly than that. 
Notably, at motorcycle races, a great mm. Formula 2 event and the thrilling British Touring Car Championship. Well, partially true, because for the most of the time he was doing the British uh, Touring Car Championship, he wasn't at the track, ever. He did it in post-production the following Thursday. I'm sure he did some track commentaries. Okay. I think the, they, should uh, get, they should get a quote from Kelvin Burt about what it's like to, to, to roll out of the circuit. Or Nicholas Minassian. Mm. To, yeah. to be vaulted into the crowd mm. in a Formula 3 car. When uh, did, when, which circuit did Minassian have his fight at? Was that Silverstone? No, that's Brands Hatch, if we're talking about the Brands same Hatch. fight. Oh, right. Uh, that was in a test as well. That was a pre season test. Uh, no, no, he had. That's fantastic. <laughs> Go on, move on. Let's move on. We're over the moon to be able to conform, confirm Nigel and Murray to officially open the Thruxton Centre. Introduced Thruxton Group Managing Director Bill Coombs. They're both motorsport royalty, not only in Britain but around the world. I'm sure they'll prove to be a huge draw at our 50th anniversary celebrations. Did Bill Coombs also used to manage a second division football club? Over the moon, Brian, about that. It'll be an opening of two halves. <laughs> yes, there'll be the Murray half and the Nigel half. Yeah, jumpers for Ibises. <laughs> it does look like a really impressive building. I saw some photos of uh, the construction yesterday. I'm getting a lot of very silly names for the new Force India, some of which we can actually use. <laughs> really? <laughs> I offer you this from Michael Hetherington. Uh, <laughs> thanks, Michael. He's tweeted at Speculatement. Team Forza, not in Dyer. Very good. <laughs> not in Danny Dyer. Oh, all right, then. Uh, shall we move on? Uh, yes. Why would you like to go next? Some actual motor racing. Uh, happened at the weekend. It did. There was uh, there was some superbikes at Phillip Island. There was. And, and I've got... changes are happening in World Superbikes, aren't they? Well, changes have happened, and we'll come on to those. But Where do we start? There's been an effect to those changes. Well, are you talking? Which, which ones are you talking about? Are you talking about the balance of I'm the performance? I'm talking about all of the changes combined have had the effect that, for the first time ah, yes. in living memory, <laughs> a World Superbike <laughs> race has been won by someone who isn't Johnny Ray, Tom Sykes, Alex Lowe's, Leon Cammy or Chaz Davis. Well, hang on. Here's a better stat for you. Um, it's the first new winner in the first race, the first new winner in Superbikes since James Hayden in 2016. And what happened at the weekend, at the end of the first race, Nick, that hasn't happened since November 2014 when it was Sylvain Gintoli? Poor old Johnny Ray doesn't lead the world championship. Very well done. That's exactly right. The uh, Sylvain Gintoli won, won the world superbike championship uh, and was therefore leading the championship in early November 2014. And ever since then, Johnny Ray, at the end of every race, has been leading the world championship. That is extraordinary. It's a very good run for the Northern Irishman, but, you know, there have been changes. You know, you're alluding to the fact we've had balance of performance. Yes, balance uh, of performance. And to, shock um, horror, balance of performance in motorcycle has actually balanced the performance. Has yeah, it? I'm not overly sure about that, to be honest, John, um, because what happened was last year, the only two bikes that really could win a race were Ducati and Kawasaki. And once again, in Phillip Island, the only two bikes that looked likely to win the race were a Ducati and a Kawasaki. And in fact, the Ducati won them both and the Kawasaki was second in them both. So it hasn't really uh, ripped Honda, Yamaha, Aprilia 
Orin Augusta way up the rankings as was expected. Certainly was expected that Yamaha were going to crawl uh, quite a long way up the rankings, but uh, we did see the same, well, five bites because we had uh, Yavi Flores in the uh, semi-works Ducati up there as well, putting in a couple of good performances. But um, yeah, I mean, it was, it, I think there's things, we, uh, what I would say is it's very good to see, you know, Marco Melandri winning both races, great performance by me, and he, and he looked very good for the wins, very good experience, tactics, wasted his time in two very different races. Mm. The first race, 22 straight laps, huge worries about tyre wear and uh, life, life, um, life, run, Word for it, and uh, it's gone past midnight now, uh, and their uh, ability to last the, the distance, and then of course because of that, when they had some 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 partial failures for the second race, we had a what's called a flag to flag race, which means they actually came in for a pit stop under full race conditions, and everyone had to stop between laps ten and uh, ten and twelve, and, and only time. one person didn't, which yeah. just stayed out that? there. Who just, was that? It was the American, wasn't it? It just stayed <laughs> out there and kept going round till he was black flagged. Uh, Mister by a lap, actually, that, only yeah. Mister by a lap. Like, uh, that, that was inability to count, I think. Yes. Um, but yeah, so we had a great... The first race, Tom Sykes, who's um, discovered his mojo back uh, with some changes to the bikes, he, he led away, but he just burned his tyres a bit too much and Melandry came round and got him with a couple of laps to go. And in the second two-part race, Melandry started ninth, of course, because it's kind of a weird semi-reverse grid uh, in superbikes where mm-hmm. the pole man starts ninth. It's not quite as much of a disadvantage, but he actually did, I think, roll around the first lap in eighth, so he hadn't done what Johnny Ray did most times last year and start ninth and still be second anyway at the end of the first lap. And through the, the ins and outs, uh, Johnny Ray did manage to get himself back near the lead. Johnny not feeling well all weekend, which no, I think is also quite key, uh, and lost out by a couple of tenths from Landry, who, who did an absolute blinding bit of tactics. Now, my feeling is, is that, you know, if you look at the this race in isolation, it is a bit like saying, you know, whoever wins Monaco is going to be the F1 champion yeah. because I think it's so different from any other uh, track and and certainly with the tyre wear issues and, and, and getting on board. We go to Thailand next and Aragon and then to Assen. I think at that point we'll have a much better idea of what the real uh, pecking order is. And I saw nothing in race two that leads me to believe that Johnny Ray won't be world champion again. Uh, Eugene Laverty led the race and then fell off as well, of oh, course. I mean, Chad Davis led the race and fell off as well. Yes, I know. Yeah, they, they, what was they going on? don't realise that Brits have to lock out all the podiums. It's just not going... Yeah. <laughs> and let's be careful. World Superbikes then get what they want and have a multinational, quali- multinational podium in qualifying. You know, they've got, they managed to get a Spaniard and Italian up there. But honestly, I felt offended. Yes, only five of the uh, top seven were Brits. I mean, it's just, we're not trying no. uh, hard, hard uh, in the in the championship as it stands. Very uh, good racing. Uh, no, it was very it was very good racing. I enjoyed it. As you say, it was two very different uh, very different races. Um, did you see the Super Sports as well, by any chance? I Don't move on no, to that I, yet. I, okay. Um, okay. We'll talk we'll talk about that in a moment. Um, I can uh, I illustrate uh, Nick's earlier point, which was. Uh, Ducati and Kawasaki. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in the drivers' championship, riders' championship, mm-hmm. uh, Marco Melandri is uh, top, yep. as you'd expect, on the yep. Ducati. Then Tom Sykes on the Kawasaki. Then yep. Johnny Ray on the Kawasaki, yep. and then Javi Flores on the Ducati. Yeah. In the manufacturers' championship, Ducati lead, Kawasaki a second, and already there is a 19-point gulf to the next best team. Yeah, but the next two down the list that you've just mentioned is Alex Laws and Leon Camier on uh, on different manufacturers, on Yamaha and Honda. But they're the only people to have scored points for either of those manufacturers. 
Well, okay. of, any, of any number, yeah. I mean, there's some small points for Honda. I think I think the Yamaha All team will be disappointed what happened. Cam- I, I don't think Honda will be. Rider? I agree with you. I don't think Honda will be very happy because this was the oh, big yeah. this was the big Taran Taran for the um, for the new Fireblade, wasn't it? And mm. and yeah, I mean, the, the other thing I noticed again at the weekend, and you said this last year, I think, when we first saw them. Um, whoever thought of putting the decals on for the the headlamp designs on the on the race bikes genius absolute genius um i, I think honda will be disappointed but as you said philip island it's super super quick uh, the wind was causing a lot of problems and i uh, uh, by the way how good do superbikes look without you know thank goodness motor gp getting rid of those silly tea trays on the front because they just look like proper race bikes don't they well they they pretty much have the silhouette of your superbike whichever mm. superbike you choose be it the nmzx 10 for kawasaki or the you said the fireblade or the uh the down the v4 panicoli which we were wandering around mm. having a shifty at a week before last weren't we in the, uh, nice. in the diva yeah and it's just twenty four thousand pounds though blimey even for me that sounds expensive um, <laughs> if it's if it sounds expensive for nick damon then it's damn well expensive for everybody else <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so no i think i think we're gonna get a closer event than than generally i think it's gonna be more wins. i'd like to see uh the yamaha push i also think that eugene laverty um despite throwing it down the road we very very encouraged because the problem the aprilia had anyway was being a bit hard in its tires that was massively exacerbated by being at philip island but the thing was quick and quick on its own right. So I think, you know, pretty quick going back to their uh, championship winning days, I think, with um, uh, Max Biaggi won for them, didn't he? I think in, in uh, World Superbikes, I believe, in a please, please correct me on the on the uh, Twitter. I haven't got my stats up. But uh, pretty uh, have a very good road bike and they've now looking to find Verbed into a very good, um, you know, race bike. But let's not forget the best superbike for the road, which is the BMW, has never done well in World Superbikes. Yeah, that's, um, an odd, that's a very odd one, isn't it? Very odd one. And... Um, Loris Baz sits in ninth position uh, in the uh, the championship, so not doing particularly uh, well. Did you see Supersports? Oh, sorry. Supersports was unbelievable. It was absolutely bonkersly brilliant. <laughs> um, Yamaha locking out the front of the field. Luke Stapleford doing all right on the Triumph. Uh, didn't couldn't quite hold on to the leaders. Rafaela de Rosa on the MV Augusta, right up there in the early early running. That was a race that was stopped, and um, they were going to do a tyre change as well, but it ended up just being a nine lap dash, so it didn't make any difference um, because they only had one race at the weekend. Uh, I do think the two race format for um, superbikes really really works. Um, it was it was like a an old 250 race, Nick. You would have loved it. If you get a chance to look at it, I think I think it's interesting. I think just generally to talk about this. I think this is obviously what the adoption that we've seen is coming really from the. I think the original plan was was the World Series by Renault days, where they had two separate days, Saturday and Sunday, with exactly the same program. You know, you'd have the same support and the qualifying for the day, and a you know, and a final and a race for the, in the day. And it, and obviously it's something which DTM has has, has aped and now World Superbikes. I'm wondering whether you know, moving forward, even looking at our absolute top echelon you know is that something we, we look at we look at a two race weekend you know making saturday and sunday individual events so it's each counts double i think it works particularly well um you know for, for the these these events i've I, you know I, superbikes is so much more interesting now you've got two races in two days than when they're back together in three hours either off on either side of a grand prix they did that for one weekend of the michelin le mans cup 
uh, yes. didn't they? Yeah. I think you're right. Um, Mark Malandri, by the way, now has the full set at Fulham Island, doesn't he? Because he won in one two five two fifty, uh, MotoGP, and now um, World, World Superbikes Super as well. Having done the double for the uh, Aruba IT uh, Ducati team at the weekend, he looked very, very good indeed. Uh, won there 2006, I think. Was it? Blimey. Uh, yes. Yeah. Exactly. And let, let's not forget. Uh, just. Finishing off this, because I've got one more. I want to go back to Formula 1 for a quick story. Um, a lot of people had written him off last year and said, what was the point of him dropping out of MotoGP? He's coming to World Superbike, hasn't done anything. Uh, well, he has now. I, I think people underestimate how different Superbikes and MotoGP bikes are. I know they're both theoretically litre bikes, four cylinders, but they're completely different. One's a full, full prototype bike with very different tyre characteristics against a bike that does have its basis and quite a strong basis and more all the time actually they're trying to dumb down the super bikes all the time aren't they uh in its actual road bike brethren and there's a huge difference in in how you get the most out of them and I, you know i'd be confident saying that if mark marquez came down well i won't give him the honda no chance but if mark marquez came down and and hopped on the kawasaki yes he'd win eventually but he wouldn't win the first weekend yeah i think i think yeah you're absolutely right uh, let's just finish uh, off before the... you move away yes. from bikes you raved about uh, world super sport and yep. never actually mentioned the winner uh, Lucas Mahas. Yes, the reigning champion. Uh, he's uh, now the championship leader. Uh, who didn't have quite such a good weekend in super sports? Ooh, Keenan Safoglu. Correct. Um, no, he finished. Actually. He didn't finish. He, uh, no, he did. He finished down in 13th position. He, um, he had a very nasty crash at, I want to say, Siberia, which is very quick. And hurt himself quite badly in um, either practice or qualifying. Can't remember which now. It was practice, and he was riding poorly. He qualified quite well, but um, halfway through the race, he just you could see him struggling. He wasn't moving around on the bike, and he'd been running at the sharper end of things, but dropped back through. Sandro Cote- uh, Randy Krumenacker and Sandro Cortese, both Yamaha riders, made up the podium. Federico uh, Caracciolo was in fourth. Look, Luke Stapleford on the only triumph in the field, which looked good in parts in fifth. Then Rafael de Rosa in MV Augusta in sixth. Gilles Cluzel in seventh. Kyle Smith on the 108th. Uh, Ayrton Badavani uh, in ninth. And Thomas, Thomas Greidinger made up the top ten. And Foglu has returned to his home country of Turkey and uh, expects to be fully recovered in time for the next round. Well... That's because he's mad, because he, he rode with a broken pelvis or something uh, last year. And also year. because it's a month away. Yeah. And well, in Thailand. He's he's amazing, that guy. Multiple um, World Supersport champion. Uh, whilst we've got Nick, and before we go, we've got Graham Goodwin coming in the second hour of the programme. And I'm told we have an exclusive from Graham Ooh. as well. Uh, we'll get to that in a few moments' time. Um, after we've heard from our voiceover artists, Emma and Mark, um, uh, who I presume have been psyching themselves up for the uh, the halfway point of the show. Um, Martini, Williams, uh, will be no more this week no. after after this year, Nick. Any time, any place, anywhere, except F1. Uh, Leaving F1 altogether or moving to another team? 
No, moving, leaving, leaving F1 altogether after five years. It was a kind of a, a dance of um, will they, won't they, will they, won't they um, with Williams. They apparently had a conversation with a couple of other teams. So obviously, that's what the, you know, the first person you phone up when you're looking for a sponsor is someone else's sponsor. Um, I'm sure they had Mr. Zed Brown on the phone, for example. Mm. Um, but uh, then they decided it was no longer the core um, marketing concept, their particular brand, and they're going to go on. Do you, and do something else, which after a five-year run, to be honest, is fair enough. Do you think then that makes more sense with the two drivers that have been chosen who can't do, in some of the countries, can't do the Martini um, promo stuff? And in fact, their young driver that they've taken on, which I think is Ollie Rowland, isn't it? Um, he's actually older than both of their regular drivers. He's 25. Oh, they, also have, don't forget, they also have their uh, test and reserve driver, Mr. Arkubitsa, who we, who I'm sure the uh, the Martini guests would be far more interested in seeing than a uh, a, rent, a, a a nameless Russian and a rich kid Canadian. So uh, they were already covered with that one. But uh, yeah, I think they have uh, said I don't that it was nothing to do with the age of the drivers. I don't think it's a major disaster because they're after five years. But unfortunately, if, you, if you, it's another F1 team who, unless they do some uh, magical spin around, isn't going to have a title sponsor. Mm. Um, and they have been getting money recently, haven't they? It, that was because originally it was just a, a branding deal and they sold loads of merchandise. But they have been getting money from Martina recently. Uh, I think it was money all the time. Mm. Okay. Uh, and with the time at one o'clock in the morning where you are, Nick, I think we'd better let you go. Oh, thank you very much. It's lovely talking to you. See you all next week. That's uh, Nick Dearman, who'll be uh, back sitting to my right uh, next week. Uh, I'm told by someone who should know um, that the McLaren Orange, by the way, was never really called papaya. Uh, Elon Young gave the name, uh, gave that colour the name of papaya. The official colour in the 60s and 70s was also McLaren Orange. Um, uh, Ian, um, Ian Young named it in a book um, and I, I've got that from our expert on uh, all things livery uh, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport it's series 13 episode 8 and we go into the second half right now would you like to hear some of my experimental avant-garde poetry no? okay then it's Midweek Motorsport and still to come that's fantastic. I like that one. Um, still to come in the second half of uh, tonight's programme. More of your suggestions, please, uh, for uh, the new name for Force India. Can't have India in it and probably can't have Force in it either because uh, apparently somebody nicked all of the... Uh, they did some cyber squatting and nicked all of the URLs that had Force uh, in it. Bizarrely. Um, good for them. Uh, so keep those coming, please. Preferably something that we can broadcast uh, on the radio. Uh, Tim has more of tonight's uh, show with the usual features, but we'll come back in a moment or two's time once Mark has finished talking with Graham Goodwin, editor of DailySportsCar.com, who tells us he's got a sports car exclusive for us here on RS1, part of the Radio Show Limited Network. Midweek Motorsport on RS1. Back from his travels into the frozen north, Graham Goodwin is now in the frozen south. Good evening, Graham. Uh, and boy, is it frozen. I'm uh, sitting in what is absolutely fundamentally not a shed, but um, fully, literally booted. Um, it's the only way to actually hike down the end of the garden to this fabulous permanent building that, uh, that I operate from. So you're dressed as if you were in a shed. 
I was dressed as if I was outside a shed working in a garden. <laughs> it's that bad. It's, it's that getting bad. that bad. Do you have a flat cap? Uh, no, I don't. I'm afraid could, I've, could I've betrayed my northern roots. Could you not have while you were up north? You, you could, I was going to say, you could have picked one up from Yorkshire whilst you were there. Uh, good evening, Graham. Uh, and good evening, everybody. Uh, enough, of, uh, enough of the frivolity. Uh, and welcome to the show. Um, uh, do you want to... St- you, you've teased us. Uh, I did. By the way, Rob Chalmers has just said, I want to hear Mark's avant-garde experimental poetry. Hmm. <laughs> Okay. You'd be, you, you be the one. Yes. Yeah. yeah, that would just be the one, Rob. We have some great listeners here. Uh, you teased us with a, a little bit of a, an exclusive, and it comes from the world of the World Endurance Championship. What do, what do you have? What's this breaking news? It's a world exclusive from DailySportsCard.com's editor, Graham Goodwin, here on well, Midweek Motorsport. I'm literally typing it as as I as I speak and about to actually post it to DailySportsCard.com. Right. Um, Came to us courtesy of uh, the always entertaining uh, Elton Julian, and I can confirm right now uh, that there will be a tyre competition in the LMP2 class of the FIWEC with the news that Dragon Speed have confirmed to me this evening that they will be... Uh, moving both of their LMP2 efforts in the LMS and the WEC to Michelin tyres. Now, the clue clue to this, John, came, you recall, I think on last week's show, we talked about the Motorland Aragon test. Yeah. Uh, Well, the clue to it was that that wasn't an LMP1 test. That was a Michelin tyre test and that both Dragon Speed and Racing Team Netherland were present. Now, Racing Team Netherland tell me they've not concluded yet what their choice is going to be. But Dragon Speed this evening have confirmed that they have and that that we will indeed see uh, the uh, Orica 07s, Roberto Gonzalez, named for the team at the moment with their solo car in WEC alongside the LMP1 BR1 Gibson, also on Michelin tyres. Uh, and the uh, returning LMS effort, again with a single uh, Orica 07 for Enrique Edmund and uh, Ben Hanley, both of whom also feature an MP1 programme, and Nicolas Lapierre will as well feature Michelin rubber. Really? That's very interesting. That is very interesting indeed. Uh, and do we know what the thinking behind this is? Do not have been... You know, pretty much all conquering. One or two people have dipped their toe in with Michelin over the last three or four series, and, and there have been times when the Michelins have have done pretty well. But you you have to be in the right conditions. I mean, I, I suppose if you do the same as everyone else in a in a series where there are limited amounts of opportunity for tuning the car and being different then having different tyres on a given day gives you at least a chance doesn't it uh, well let's put it this way uh, if you're going to measure your driver squads against each other and all be in the same chassis and all be on the same tyres then there are very relatively few variables uh, if, however, you accept that perhaps your gentleman driver is not going to be as quick as some of the super silvers, then you do give yourself a potential advantage in certain conditions on a different tyre. It could be a smart choice. From Elton's point of view, it's been a brief conversation, but uh, there's, there's clearly some kind of common sense commercially to sticking with a single supplier across both formally and both championships. So it remains to be seen whether or not this is going to be a smart choice or not. Um, you know, we did see, I think uh, you were with me, uh, in the tipping rain, were you not, at Shanghai, mm. with Alex Brundle from the rear of the grid, uh, the only 
the only car on Michelin tyres um, in the LMP2 grid and drove from the front to the lead. From the back to the lead, yeah, absolutely. I mean, some of that was Alex as well, yep. no doubt about it, because he was very comfortable in that car. And his comeback drive, that was, and uh, after he'd been away for a little while, and proved, I think, to himself as much to everybody else that he'd lost none of his speed. Interesting that. We'll, we'll keep an eye on that. We've got the uh, prologue coming up, of course, not so very far away, and the opportunity for some serious testing for uh, all of the, the P2 uh, runners down at Paul Ricard. Um, I'll be very interested to see how that's looking as it gets ready to hold the Grand Prix, of course, uh, as well. A lot of the other uh, news uh, regarding sports cars uh, is uh, either GT or uh, particularly British GT uh, and and or Aston Martin based. And, and, and I want to start with a, a business story about Aston Martin. Um an extraordinary success story uh, since Andy Palmer uh, joined the brand in 2014, uh, turning around uh, last year a £163 million loss to an £87 million or $122 million uh, uh, profit this year, uh, 5,100 units, and I think that's its first pre-tax profit since... 2010, something like that, yeah. yeah. Um, extraordinary. And I, I was in Aston last week um, talking about a number of, of things. And, and the thing that struck me, and I've followed Aston and its ups and downs as a brand for many, many years. And, and you know this as, 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 as much as anybody, Graham. Um, since the uh, current shareholders uh, took over, uh, effectively, uh, which is the Italian private equity fund Invest Industrial, which um, and, and I think there's a set of Kuwaitis in there uh, as well. Um, they've been able to make long-term plans, which extraordinarily for a brand as big as Aston Martin in terms of how famous it is, that's not always been the case at Aston Martin, and it's literally paying dividends now. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, the, the great thing about it is, looking back to early conversations with Andy Palmer just after he'd taken over, the general plans that he's described, I'm sure, to you as well as to me, John, um, have come to fruition and continue to be brought to fruition. In the, in the wake of Vulcan, uh, he talked about bringing forward, you know, a, speciali- a specialised, more performance-focused version of each model um, through each model cycle. They've done that with the MR range. That's clearly a very profitable endeavour for the company. We've had a complete turnaround. I think it's. The, I think Rapide is the last car to be replaced, I think, in that model cycle since Andy's been at the helm with other models, including the DBX, to, to come on stream with the St. Athan plant uh, in development. Two new Lagondas, so, Lagonda 1, Lagonda 2, and, of yep. course, um, when we did the Vantage launch, Andy was, when we did that recording several felt like years before the vantage launch that we were sitting on that um talking about the mid-engine car as well yes yeah so lots of really exciting stuff going on anybody who's got a soul let's face it uh loves the grand marks and and aston martin it you know well uh, it, it, year after year after year in the business and lifestyle service comes back as being one of the coolest lifestyle brands on the planet we all know why the cars look fabulous they sound fabulous they go beautifully mm. and isn't it great to be able to say that john about a car company that continues to invest very heavily indeed in motorsport um invest industry we're talking about it's uh, a little uh what was it last week 
I think it was. Uh, it's part of the Agnelli, um, Agnelli family. Uh, that's their oh, wow. investment. Uh, um, um, so let's talk about some of those stories for Aston Martin. I, it's a little parochial because there's a, an awful lot of British GT news. But, I mean, how many Aston Martins have we got in British GT? And how strong is British GT looking? Uh, looking very, very good. In fact, uh, I think Rick Parfitt's uh, Team Parker effort unveiling their new livery in central London right now, in fact. Mm. Um, and uh, if I were Rick Parfitt and Ryan Ratcliffe, I'd be looking now and thinking, oh, my God, what have we let ourselves in yes. for? Because we've now got seven factory drivers named uh, <laughs> aboard cars in GT3 in the British GT Championship, and, and five the, of which are Aston Martin factory drivers. And there's a good reason for this, and it comes off the back of this transitional yes. uh, season that we have for WEC, because there's actually not that much racing for those guys to do. Now, they've been very busy uh, testing and developing the new Vantage, and I, I, I'm sure that you're hearing what I'm hearing, that that's all gone rather swimmingly well. Oh, the, yeah, to, yeah, yeah. To the point where they're actually quite worried because they haven't been able to break it yet. Yeah, I mean, I'm hearing, I think, exactly what you're hearing, which is that there's been very little by way of um, of issues for the car. And always new car niggles, but the new car niggles are the, the, what, of, the, of the type that have been very, very simple to fix. Uh, so they're going into the season, I think, with hopes very high indeed. I think you're absolutely right. I think you've nailed it there, John. Uh, you tend to take two steps away from this and think, why would they be doing this? Yeah. The interesting thing here is that you've got new teams coming on board with the Aston Martin. And my guess would be it's almost like an introductory offer, isn't it? Come and race this year with one of our uh, factory uh, drivers and then let us show you the shiny new car we're going to have for next year. Yeah. I, I think, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how successful they are with that because they'll be very aware, of course, that next year for national championships, the likes of Bentley and potentially McLaren will have new machinery. And, you know, it is going to be a remarkably competitive marketplace for those teams and those car owners that want to buy, you know, a British uh, race GT3 car with from a make of some heritage. So Aston Martin, I think, are getting their retaliation in early yes, here and, and building in a bit of brand loyalty. It could be very smart indeed. Um, another British brand that we've had contact with, both of us, um, we're hearing. And by the way, the Geneva Motor Show is on at the moment, isn't it? Uh, no, it starts next week. Stick next week, is it? Sorry, yes. Yes, it is. Uh, the preparations for the Geneva Motorsport. That's why I can't get uh, motor shows is on at the, are on at the moment, and that's why I can't. You can't get hold of anybody who works for a car company because they're all over there um, sorting things out. Um, uh, Aston Martin have a huge stand there, and um, expect to see some interesting things unveiled. In uh, and the Formula One car is there. The the Red Bull the Aston Martin Red Bull racing car. Uh, they've got the new Vantage GT, of course, there. Uh, and expect some um, new cars from Aston or something new from Aston. Um, McLaren uh, are sort of teasing something new as well, Graham. They are now. They've put out a press release today featuring the. Just fabulous looking, carb, all carbon, all bare carbon, all bare carbon. Uh, Senna, easy tiger. Um, indeed. This is uh, the, this then, is the 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 Senna sort of the, the soup to the track version of the Senna track or whatever it's called, isn't it? It's it's basically it's the, the Senna is is a road legal car. Correct. Okay. So the moment there is not 
it's a very track focused car. Don't get me wrong, but it's uh, it's it's a, a road going car. And and um, Andy Palmer. No, not that one. Andy Palmer. Bizarrely, this is another story of a British motor manufacturer with an Andy Palmer in one of its senior positions. It's He'd, now the law. <laughs> you've got to have one, yes. Um, and he told me in our inside story on the Senate before Christmas that you know, quite pointedly, when I pointed at um, the fuel filler cap either side and the four litre engine and the amount that they are going to de- deliver in a year, 500 by the way, easily inside GTE uh, homologation numbers um, and that's from I think the third quarter 2018 to the third quarter 2019 they're going to knock out 500 of these all sold I said well you know that looks to me like a car that's homologated for GT and he said to me and I'm sure he said to you the same thing Graham that the car is not homologated for any motorsport yet he didn't say that to me, by the way. But we should explain exactly why we're talking about this, other than the fact it looks awesome in the old carbon. In the press release, it specifically says at their press conference, which is Tuesday, 10.45, I think, Central European times, so that's 9.45 our time, uh, there will be a surprise announcement. The Senna is the featured car this year, it would seem. Yeah. At, uh, uh, we've already, you know, we've got... Uh, 570, which is midway through its model cycle. Yep. We've got 720, which we know is going to be the new GT3 car, but we've been told repeatedly is not going to be uh, the model that anything further in motorsports than GT3 uh, features. So, yes, there is there is a reason for speculation as to whether there might be some indication of a further motorsport program possibly featuring the center and that could only be uh, gte the question then comes well two questions one is that correct two when would that be it clearly will not be for 2018-19 um, and then you look at where the dates sit and we've we've talked about this you and i on midweek motorsport before now but in 2020 uh, we will get to the point where it is 25 years since 1995 and McLaren's famous overall win with the fabulous F1. Um, and are we sure it's going to be based on the Semi and not this new hypercar, the, um, what's codenamed the BP23, which is uh, a car that has that very McLaren-esque uh, central driving position and, and two seats either side, the, the triple uh, driving, uh, the triple seat driving uh, setup. Uh, the answer is we don't. I mean, you know, what I'm saying here is not I am telling you they're going to announce this. I'm saying that the the uh, it's beginning to point very clearly towards the fact we might hear something that tickles our racing fancy. Mm. So what do I think we're going to see? I think we're. I don't think we're going to see a GTE car unveiled. Right. I don't think we're going to see. Uh, an announcement that they're going to be racing this car next year because I think they're fully focused on the GT3 program yeah. for next year. But I would be at this point surprised if we didn't get at least a hint towards something coming in the near to medium term future. And I think 2020 might be it. But the BP23, by the way, the three seater is uh, rumoured to be hybrid. And I wonder if that might actually form the basis of their Le Mans overall winner challenger because that undoubtedly is the way that the uh, the manufacturers want the rules to go and that would be the perfect car even if it wasn't exactly the same uh, on which to base it um and you know that i i wonder if that one's just a little bit too too far away but hey um 
let's wait and see. I, I, I do like Geneva because it's always had that good motorsport. Um, there's, there's often been a motorsport day there. I got whizzed out there to do a launch of a, a Nissan GTR, I think, many years ago. and was in and out in a day. Thoroughly enjoyed that. Well, well I'll, I'll offer one other possibility here. Okay, What do I think? I think it's possibly something to do with the Senna. And it could be an extreme road-going version of the car. It could be an extreme track-going version of the car. Or it could be a competition car or some form of concept uh, between any of those posts. That said, uh, things are moving remarkably quickly mm. in world motorsport at the moment. Don't count out the fact that we might get some words spoken that indicate something over and above a GT car. We know that McLaren are one of the makes that are interested in a potential global uh, prototype formula. Whether or not they get that, they'll have to decide whether or not they decide to go one way or the other or nowhere. Uh, exciting times actually uh, emerging from Woking. I know you've been there remarkably recently, John, to see the centre. Yeah. And it's it's definitely got a new lease of life uh, uh, recently with the the now one company in the in the aftermath of the Ron Dennis era and bringing all the parts of the company together effectively under one uh, single management that is beginning to see uh, a bit of clarity of thought and focus on the programs that they'd like to see with a bit more of an overarching strategy that could see uh, some parts of that company involved in the sports car racing that haven't been before uh, sad news that uh, the early part of this week Marcel Martin has died and I mean it's a name that those of uh, us of, of our sort of age uh, will will recognise, and people perhaps a bit older, some of our younger listeners might not recognise the name. Uh, well, Marcel Martin, 20 years, the race director at the Le Mans 24 Hours, and as many of our race directors have been, uh, Marshall before that, and competitor as well, twice uh, a racer at the Le Mans 24 Hours, and indeed a class winner uh, way back when. Um, yeah, very sad. I've moved down to his beloved Poe, uh, was also, I was reminded, by the way, uh, earlier this week, he was the uh, race director for the John Mangaletti series, the FIA Sports Car Championship, yes. for many years as well. So, you know, one of the good guys um, left us uh, fine life well lived. Uh, it, but fair to say that's another member of the family, I'm afraid, that has, uh, will be on the list, I'm afraid, for June, John. Uh, along with uh, a gentleman called Jean-Pierre Moreau, who was the ACO um sporting manager at the time if you like um not afraid to try new innovations um because they i think were the first people to have um, surveillance cameras cctv cameras on the bugatti circuit safety Correct. cars safety uh, cars yeah yep. uh, safety cars was i think one of his innovations um and you know we've seen that carried on through haven't we with uh, the the guys who followed on uh, Eduardo Freitas, obviously most recently, not afraid to innovate, not afraid to actually uh, take some lessons from elsewhere in world motorsport, and Daniel Poisson as well, who bridged the gap between the two. So yeah, it's you know, it, at 88 years old, a grand old man, and with um, you know with a history behind him that I'm sure he enjoyed uh, telling anybody and everybody uh, the tales that inevitably come from decades involved with sport at the highest level, John. But uh, certainly you sense some sadness within the ACO family. Uh, yes, he was succeeded by Daniel Poissonneau. So he was the fourth race director, because I know Daniel Poissonneau was the the fifth. Um, it's a job that's been done by remarkably few people down through the years. They tend to make a, a huge difference. Uh, and 
the uh, sad to say uh, that uh, uh, that member of the family has despair. I, I should mention Tim seems to think that I, uh, I, I might have hinted that Jean-Pierre Moreau had died. Um, not the case uh, there. So I apologise if, if that was uh, uh, ambiguous. It was Marcel Martin uh, who. Uh, sadly, died earlier this week. Uh, Pierre Fillon said Marcel Martin was a benchmark, a pillar of the ACO and of our sport. Deeply saddened by his death, he has left us a heritage and a certain idea of motor racing that we'll devote ourselves to respecting. I would like to send my warmest and heartfelt thoughts to his family and his nearest and dearest. Um, and I think we would echo uh, all yes. of that. And beautifully um, surmised there by uh, Pierre Fillon, who has also been in the news this week. Uh, along with his brother Francois, um, yeah, and a lot of people don't know that, that Pierre has is carried on driving quietly, um, not every weekend, but has picked and choose. I remember him doing an LMP3. Uh, I'm not sure whether he raced one, but he certainly tested one. But they are going to be racing this year at Le Mans, but not at the 24. Uh, no, they're going to be in Classic Le Mans, and it's going to be in, effectively, a family-run Lotus Elan. And his brother, Francois, former French Prime Minister, of course, has now left politics, um, uh, I think raced the same car last time. It was in Golf Livery back in 2016. Uh, but he's been a regular fixture at the Le Mans Classic. And, uh, yeah, Pierre and Francois will be uh, crewing a Lotus Elan. That's not one you want to get involved in a tussle with, is it? Uh, no. Probably not. Did I also read that um, that Francois has been appointed to a job in the FIA recently as well? Yeah, he's he's uh, it was in the last um, uh, it was the pre-Christmas uh, rush of announcements, wasn't it, with the various commissions? He is the new FIA Constructor Commission president, uh, which is interesting. So uh, in the same uh, tranche that we saw Richard Mille yeah. uh, replace Lindsay Owen Jones, the Jones Commission, Francois Fion is now part of that family as well. Uh, and uh, should say Pierre has been uh, racing in uh, a few V to V now that I've actually pulled the story up on D- DSC. Uh, he, did, he did that enormous. in the P3 yeah. car. He yeah. did that. He, he did, he, did he not race a P3 car in that? I think so. I, I think, think he, he did. He raced a Norma, didn't he? Yeah, but it's yeah, it's you know, it's interesting stuff. Lot, lots more Norman news to come, by the way, in the next few days. Oh, with, really? Uh, uh, with existing teams moving to Norma chassis. Um, I I sort of dropped this next story on you last week, and uh, being being up um next to the shed, um, <laughs> that was very. Uh, Mine is next. My 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 office is, by the way, next to the shed. Right. Which is why I know it's definitely not a shed. That, exactly. Um, and we found out actually after the show last week when somebody listened back to the podcast, they'd been staying in the same hotel had, as yeah. you, and <laughs> I was very disappointed that they hadn't bumped into you. Um, I, I dropped this on you. Matt Fernandez had been ferreting around the uh, French press and particularly um, Le Men, I think, um, the, yes. one of the local Sathois. Um, newspapers about um, a potential move to the start line at Le Mans, and that has been uh, that has been confirmed. Uh, it's 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 no big deal in terms of how the race um, will be run, but it will make a little difference to the start, quite a big difference to the start, actually. Uh, what it, what it means is you'll get almost the whole field on the start finish straight before the flag drops, and I can see the appeal of that. I'm gonna be slightly cynical and say. They did also say there might be some kind of um, arch to uh, to mark the start line. 
And I do wonder whether or not this is a commercial opportunity Sponsor as well. Deal. Yeah. You know, but that's fine as long as it doesn't get in the way of, you know, that, that lovely uh, long shot. We've got the, the Michelin hockey stick, if you like, at one end of pit mm-hmm. lane, uh, which I think has actually been a success. I think it goes across very well. We go for the Michelin uh, hockey stick to the Dunlop Bridge and uh, and away we go. As long as we don't get to the stage where it looks too cluttered, because we do love our history, don't we? Um, 140 odd metres or something like that? 145 metres, I gather. Right. Okay. But what? But the, the big point of that is the finish line isn't changing. So we're not going to have a drag race further down the start finish no. to the finish line. It will be straight out of the Ford chicane and across the line. Uh, absolutely correct. So, you know, we'll leave others to speculate on what that does to race distances and uh, to Ooh. what would have happened to Toyota a couple of years ago, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But we've got that's the second, of course, the second change uh, to the actual structure of the track that we've seen uh, in the off season because there is that uh, change, major change to the topography just away from the track and the Porsche curves uh, for safety reasons at the uh, the corner that saw that enormous shunt from Loic Deval. Uh, some years ago in the Audi, but uh, that now with a lot of landfill been uh, been done there with a big runoff area and a tiny change. I think it's it's, it's something like three meters difference um, through the Porsche curves. So that's the first change. This is the second. Hopefully, doesn't get anywhere close to being a serious impact in our enjoyment of the great race. Now, Paul Truswell will be working out what exactly that means is for race distance, and it will shorten um, the first lap distance, uh, <clears> of <throat> course. Uh, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport Series 13, episode 8. We're in 2018, and uh, although the weather doesn't look much like it here, it is spring um, tomorrow. The 1st of March uh, is the uh, vernal equinox, isn't it? Uh, Tim Gray yeah. has... Well, has a story. Spring, the uh, mm. the uh, domestic cricket season starts uh, next month, of course. <laughs> Excellent. Um, just a point on uh, this uh, new construction at Le Mans. Mm. Um, can we think of any companies who are famous for arches? What at Le Mans? No, well, it'd, be, it'd be the best. Dri- it'd be the best drive. It would be one of the best drive-throughs in the world, wouldn't it, if we wouldn't had the Golden it? Arches? But, yes, that would have to be two, though, wouldn't it? I suppose you could have one, one bit of it over the pit lane. Yes, the... very good. And to Julien Canal's garage. Very good. Yes. Uh, and there is, uh, there is, of course, one of those establishments uh, within a uh, chicken nuggets throw from the <laughs> uh, from the Lindois-Donadière, if, uh, if I'm not mistaken. I think you're absolutely right. Uh, many's Not that the time, you'd ever go there. Well, many's the time I've parked there just to get the free Wi-Fi, frankly. <laughs> um, um, anything else for Graham uh, from you, Nick? Uh, Tim, sorry, or can I... I I'm Tim. I yeah. know, sorry, I, I realised that. You do this all the time. Uh, I only have one more uh, Graham story, so does Graham have any other stuff? I know, I've got, I've, got some, I've got some uh, bits and pieces of, uh, of other stuff uh, as well um, for, for Graham. I'll carry on, then. Um, uh, the uh, the weather across Europe hasn't been um, particularly good this week, and that has stopped one or two people's testing plans, Graham. So I'm hearing uh, just about everywhere, really. I mean, poor record snow, Snetterton snow. I'm just hoping I'm due out at Motorland Aragon uh, next week with uh, Dunlop and a group of Mija uh, to see some tyre testing uh, there for a couple of days and hoping that that's gonna, we're going to get uh, cleared up there before we get into that. But uh, just about everywhere appears to be under the white, under the white stuff at the moment. So yeah. fingers crossed for slightly better 
Turner events next week. Um, a little piece of news that dropped in in between shores that got uh, a, a pretty, well, more than a little bit of a golf clap from from our audience was the news uh, that the one of the Heritage series will be supporting a couple of three rounds of the the 24-hour series, the Creventic series, uh, this year. This is uh, a, a series that is for uh, older GT cars and a fantastic array of cars, up to and including GT1 cars, that are uh, available uh, for or eligible uh, for this. And, and this is you know hard on the heels of a number of similar series. There's a real push at the moment, Graham, for people to get out cars that are sitting under dust sheets uh, and get them out and get them racing. Some of the cars that you and I drooled over what seems to me like yesterday, but of course when I think about it, it was probably 10 years and more ago. Uh, yeah, well, oddly enough, I was asked the question just uh, this afternoon by someone, what kind of support races would I like to see for major mm. events? And actually, a historic race always does it. Always yeah, does it. You know, the uh, the uh, Creventic supporting race, the uh, Nick Manazian's Masters Endurance Legends uh, races, I've been given a bit of an update as to what we can expect on some of those grids, and I'm waiting for official confirmation of that. But there's some fantastic cars that are going to be coming out to play. I, I like this move into the, the sort of it's happened in the States a lot more often than it's happened in the rest of the world and particularly in Europe. These sort of mildly vintage cars. Post-historic. Yeah, yeah. thank you. Very good. Post-historic. Sort of within living memory of most people uh, and formative years type cars of, of a lot of people's grounding in the sport and uh, I mean, things like I'm um, you know mentioned in, in the press release for the for the, the, the series on the Creventic running is a Maserati MC12. Wow, 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 wow. I mean, that's that's cra- cracking stuff. We've got the Masters Historic Legends supporting the French Grand Prix this yes. year, which yes. is fantastic stuff. Extraordinary. And, you know, I, you know I'm, I'm hearing, you know, the kind of cars we're going to see in that uh, grid, a couple of Peugeot 908s, I believe, confirmed, uh, 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 more than a smattering of LMP1s and LMP900s, including a Panos. Hmm. Oh, lovely. Uh, Graham's story is up now. Uh, Tyre battles and chassis variety come to the LMP2 class in FIAWEC. Uh, and I am about to retweet that uh, on uh, at Specutainment. Keep the uh, ideas coming in for the uh, for the new name of Force India uh, as well. Apparently, uh, Alexander Orkin thinks one of us mentioned Alexa because it just burst into life. Alexa. Order lots of stuff for Alexander. Um, <laughs> that's going to really, really annoy him. Uh, Graham, uh, great news, more French news, and more, I suppose, Le Mans-related news um, about Fred Saucy coming in uh, this week as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, we talk a lot about Garage 56. We talk a lot about heroism. That's a much, much, much misused word, but I think everybody would agree that the number one in the Garage 56 era, uh, the Fred Saucy efforts uh, Fred the uh, quadruple amputee after a dreadful uh, viral infection um, uh, got got hold of him uh, finishing the race in that uh, adapted Morgan LMP2 but uh, two bits of news really breaking today one is that he's been uh, awarded the French Ordre National de Mérite and becomes a Chevalier de Ordre National de Mérite uh, the second most prestigious award yeah. in France after the Légion d'honneur and also giving us news that uh, things are progressing pretty nicely with uh, his academy, La Filière, um, but almost lost in the 
announcement of that was that there appears to be agreement in place that they will get an automatic entry for a La Filière. It's This is all for um, uh, physically impaired uh, drivers and Fred and his colleagues assisting Fred's people's gonna, progress. Fred's not going to race in this. He's going to manage the team with, with three... Uh, physically impaired drivers who Indeed. have now been selected. Have not been selected, but not yet announced. Right. But the, the Lafiliere effort will get an automatic entry for wow. them on in 2020. Right. So it gives them that great... It's, it's not I that long very, the way that now, Grim, when you no, think about it. But it's smart. I think, you know, it's. A, we talked a, a, about uh, Garage 56 a few weeks ago, and I think where the, the model is a little bit broken is you either need this to be a big factory or you need it to be... Uh, announced two or even three years in advance yeah. uh, to allow these smaller companies to actually get the the finance together. It's it's, but uh, the interesting thing there is three year plan. First year is a season in the V to V series, two consecutive seasons in the Michelin Le Mans Cup with the twenty twenty season also including the twenty or twenty four hours of Le Mans. I think that's a pretty smart move. Yeah. Uh, it certainly um, bodes well that we, we saw the level of support that uh, Fred Sose's efforts got from people at the very highest level of the ACO. Certainly in the time that I was doing a little bit of media work with Fred in the garage, uh, we saw visitors, including uh, Pierre Fion, including the sporting director, Vincent Beaumanil, taking a very active interest in how these things were going. And I'm delighted to see that their commitment to that yeah. went way beyond just that one race in 2016. Uh, and should say, although it's La Filière, which often... Um, in the past has been specifically French. This is going to be a multinational oh, yeah. effort and, it, and and has already been announced that there's an Asian component to this. I think I know who that is and I'm not going to say no, for this programme because I'm going to leave it for Fred to, to make those announcements. But yeah. yes, if that's the case, uh, that's uh, that's some very good news as well. You know, you know what? It's a global family. And uh, if you can spread the news far and wide, uh, that this is an opportunity now available to you. Look, I mean, look at look at where the Paralympic sport has actually come. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, in the, in the years when I used to work for the UK government sports minister, uh, part of my brief was to try and help them to increase media interest in disabled sport. No one cared, John. Nobody in mainstream media gave a stuff. And now look where we've come to. Uh, it is a source of huge pride that the organisations behind uh, disabled sports have managed to do what they've managed to do and make it absolutely mainstream. I think it's a fantastic thing and more power to Fred Sose and all of his, all of his people. Uh, and you absolutely. say that that's happened since you stopped uh, promoting it, Greg. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Very good. I, I just got it to the cusp and then other people took that flaming battle and, and, and carried it forward. Very good. Very good. Uh, on the uh, subject of awards, uh, Mercedes won the uh, team award at the Laureus Sports Awards uh, in Monaco last night. Mm. Uh, yes. The fourth uh, world championship for uh, Lewis Hamilton uh, led uh, them to reward the whole team, which I thought was nice. Mm. However, uh, Billy Munger, who was nominated for um, Inspirational Moment of the Year, uh, lost out to an American footballer who'd uh, fractured uh, his uh, tibula. Right. Mm. Okay. Mm. <laughs> uh, I, th- I think in the case of Billy, um, he's getting a huge amount of attention, quite right too, uh, the way in which uh, he's 
manage his recovery the way which he's clearly heading back towards the sports um i think is it, it most certainly is inspirational it's 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 i think getting people involved in the sport whether or not um you know able-bodied or not uh, getting people interested in the sport in a way that, that perhaps they otherwise would have done. should say, by the way, my understanding is that we won't see Billy as part of La Felière. Clearly, there's been other programmes that have come forward uh, for Billy since the, uh, the, the, um, the Le Mans press conference. But, um, well, yeah, I'm just going just just to mention what we've seen um, and the positivity that all kinds of programmes, not least those in motorsport and motorsport frankly is taking a lead on this and I, and I think we should be proud of our sport as how it's taking a lead when you see the sort of things that's happened with with mission motorsport graham and you've been down to the race of remembrance um and and seeing the positive effect that that's had on people that's not for the sake of motorsport that's for the sake of the people involved and you know, the, the good that it can do using motorsport, and I, I appreciate this as a pun, and, and I, I don't mean it, this to be funny, but using motorsport as a vehicle. And motorsport should be, I think we said this with the Fred Saucer thing, but we've said it as well with, with the Mission Motorsport side of things. Motorsport needs to be applauded that it is prepared to look at this in a positive way. Yeah, it, it most certainly does. There have been, for a long, long time, there have been you know, people with all sorts of disabilities involved in the sport. Um, I, I, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I think another person who needs to be recognised for his contribution in carrying this forward and making it more uh, making it, it more of a possibility for more people to get actively involved is lord paul drayson yeah and you know, yes his campaign was around his own disability paul only uh, cited with one eye uh, but the uh, the reality is all these things have to be argued and won and if you've got people of that kind of a caliber uh, who are able, uh, ready, willing, and able to go and take those arguments forward? It, it can only be a good thing. I'm delighted. I think it, it adds yet more uh, layers to a sport that's already got plenty of them. Yeah. Um, and that you know, if we can actually get guys coming through and being successful, and I think we can, uh, I think we've got some other great stuff to come. And you know what? We've been talking about this for ten minutes. We haven't yet mentioned Alex Tanadi. Well, uh, and you know, there's another trailblazer. Another trailblazer, isn't he? There's, there's no doubt about that, and continues to be a, a, a an inspiration. Um, and I know put some uh, calls in and some FaceTime in with uh, with Billy uh, as well. Um, and the other thing is it, it has highlighted Billy's case. The other thing that Billy's case has done very well, not just for Billy but other people. There have been other people who've had nasty injuries, who've had life-changing injuries, um, who haven't perhaps had the uh, superstar endorsements that that Billy has had. But Billy has ensured, and Billy's family have ensured, that uh, they have got some of the limelight and some of the cash has been passed across uh, as well to those other people. And I think that's uh, that's a very good thing indeed. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport Series 13, Episode 8. Uh, Graham Goodwin, editor of Daily Sports Car, uh, is joining us. And Tim, what do you have next? And are we holding on to Graham for this? Uh, well, we'll let Graham choose whether he wants to oh, stay okay. for this. Uh, he may have an interest in this because... Okay. Uh, we're going to talk about some cars that uh, are not uh, the sort of cars that uh, people would, uh, that the series would like people to believe that they are. And I think think that, uh, well, actually, I think they're single seaters with roofs. But uh, oh? some people would say they're sports cars. We're talking about DTM. Um, yeah. 
Hmm. A bit, they're a high. They're a hybrid in the in the sense, not necessarily the powertrain. But I, I see what you're it, seeing. It's sort of fifty percent GT car, fifty percent Formula Two car. It's a GTP. It's a GT prototype. Ultimately, um, if you have ever seen a um, DTM or indeed a Super GT car, Dishabille without its bodywork on, it looks like a P2 car underneath. It looks like a Formula Nippon car. It is a Formula Nippon car. Or a P2 car for fat lads, basically. <laughs> anyway, the first pre-season test for DTM uh, is uh, tomorrow at Vallelunga. Oh. And uh, ITR, the people behind the championship, have announced the uh, new uh, 2018 regulations. Yes. Technical and sporting. Yes. Which is a little unexpected because at the start of 2017, uh, they announced a regulation freeze for three years. So what's the differences then? Uh, there is a new aero package, so less front aero, smaller front uh, Isn't splitter. Isn't fewer front aero, surely? No, aero singular. Okay. And unquantifiable. Uh, the side ducts uh, are simpler. Uh, there are no end plates below the doors. Uh, and there are restrictions on the number of uh, add-ons you can have on the rear aero. Mm. Very interesting. Uh, the third element of the front axle has been removed. Right. Uh, that, this sounds like quite a lot of work for the manufacturer, one of whom is only is no longer for... there. Uh, uh, the base weight uh, yes, has been right, reduced to... Uh, no, Mercedes are still in it this year, aren't they? Yes. The, they've got one more year? Yes. Yeah, uh, so, the... so that's a lot of money for them to spend for one more year. Yes. Base weight has been reduced to uh, 1,115 kilograms. Right. Uh, and they can't get away with just making the drivers eat nothing because uh, <laughs> the weight for the vehicle without the driver has been reduced to 1,031 kilograms. Right. Uh, because they've so added... Hang on, the vehicle without the driver is 1,031? Yeah. And the base weight is what? 11.15. So that means everybody's got to be under 100 kilos? Yeah. And, and I presume... Oh, yes, but... Is that dry weight? So that means without fuel and, and fluids? That's 76 kilos you can have for your driver. Heavens above. Which, considering most of them are 69, gives them plenty to play with. You don't uh, want to be I'm, too tall, though, do you? I'm going to struggle there, John. <laughs> do you think? <laughs> yeah, as he says, polishing off a I shepherd's could, pie. Yeah, like, I wondered <laughs> what I could hear in the background. And the shepherd's not very happy about it, either, frankly. No, he's not going to get me in the snow, I tell you. No. I, I have to let the sheep go at some point. <laughs> <laughs> I've still got a ways to go for that then go yes. on carry on uh, now they've added uh, brands attached to the calendar this year yes they have which uh, is great which news for is, fans. is not replacing uh, a round it's uh, an extra round mm -hmm. uh, so they've increased the number of engines that the teams are allowed to use from 7 to 8 mm. uh, they've also said that uh, before the pit stops two mechanics are allowed to carry tyres out into the pit lane instead of one Right. Uh, it's not a mandatory two. You could still just use one if you wanted to. Right. But it's recommended that they use two for safety reasons. Oh, dear. Tim, you said they're allowed eight engines? Yes. Yeah. For ten races. Rounds? Ten, really? ten rounds, yeah. Ten rounds of two races they're, they're double, all double headers, yeah. They're all actually, it, it's actually, that's, it's ten events because they actually run the two days as two completely self-contained and separate Where have we heard meetings? that before this, after, uh, this evening? Mm. Mm. Superbikes. 
Um, you can it so, you it can works so, you very can... well, Graham. It works. Oh, when no, I... no, I, can, I completely see it, but you can sort of see why the potential to replace those cars with GTEs in a year or two's time um, sort of all of a sudden makes sense, can't you? How, how many engine changes uh, are you allowed to have in uh, the GT classes? Of As many as you want. As many as you want. Uh, Is that true? Not sure. Certainly LMP2, you're only allowed a certain number of engine changes. Mm. Um I'll have to check that, but it's definitely not eight, I can tell you that. No. Well, for the something um, like the European Le Mans series, that's more than they have races. True. Um, th- I think there's a, th- there's, there is a, a restriction on what you can have in Le Mans week and for Le Mans. Um, yes. But, uh, and, and don't forget, there is a restriction. Is this is a restriction in um, WEC still there? If you change a, an engine over a weekend between qualifying and the race, you just have to start for the pit lane at a lap you deficit. You have to, I'll have to double check, the, but certainly there is a, re- there is a restriction on it. Yeah, I'm trying to think, because that happened at the end of the end of the season, didn't it? Right at the end of the season, uh, and I'd have to check. That I remember it happening confused. at Spa a couple of years ago with somebody who got very bent out of shape because they'd have to scramble to it fix was rebellion. An, it was it was rebellion, and then they had to start from a pit lane, which they felt was you know pretty much a, a a penalty. But they had to start from a pit lane effectively a lap down. They weren't allowed to start when the cars went through the first time. They were only allowed to start when the cars came through the second time at the end of the first green flag lap. And that used to be the rule. Um, so, yeah, some significant difference. It's not an endurance series, though, in fairness, no, Tim. So, it's not it cheap, though. It is a hideously though. expensive series. It is a hideously expensive series. And having allowing them eight engines uh, for uh, a race season, which probably does no more miles than the 24 hours of Le Mans, seems a little excessive. What, in, in one go? Yes, I mean, absolutely. I mean, how long? The races aren't that long, are they? They're 20-odd laps. An hour each. Less than an hour each. All oh, right, oh, yes, that's right. With 17 mandatory pit stops. <laughs> More <laughs> than that across the season. No, no, I meant per race. Ah, yes. um, I was being slightly sarcastic there. Um, there are still people in Germany who are not convinced that that series will actually happen this year. Can I tell you some more rule changes? Oh, go on then. There's more? Yes. Oh, yes. Oh no, that that was that's just the tip of the iceberg for for a rule set that was frozen for three years at the start of twenty seventeen. Well, that's why season. that's the tip of the iceberg, obviously. If uh, it was frozen, yes. Moving on. Uh, communication between the pits and driver. Yeah. Uh, yes. They've changed the rules about what you can put on a pit board. All oh, right. I thought you were going to say you weren't allowed radios. You can only use owls or something. Previously. Previously, you could uh, put information about uh, the driver's lap time yep. and uh, gaps yep. and laps to go. Yep. Now, mm-hmm. they are allowed to give the driver hints uh, about... Uh, <laughs> About tactics. What hints about <laughs> tactics? What like a cryptic clue? Yes. Sounds oh, like they have to three be syllables. Clues. Excellent. It has to be a single letter, fig- figure, or symbol. So five. Or so B. It could be. Yes. It could be a picture of a hand shoving somebody. It could be. Excellent. Yeah. The only qualification for this uh-huh. is at the start of the season mm-hmm. they must. Uh, provide a list of all the symbols and codes that they're going to use with their meanings mm-hmm. to everybody the governing body right and the german asn yeah and the dmsb yeah 
And does everybody get to see that as well? So you can read someone else's pit board? No, I don't it's... think they're publishing them. I think oh, okay. as long as... It's like Formula Emoji, isn't it? It's really? Formula Emoji! <laughs> Formula Emoji! That's it. That's exactly what it is, mate. We are going to see a selection of emojis on pit boards, aren't we? You, you have to. Oh, and just yeah, arrows yeah. and things. And, a, you know, a cream cake. Um... <laughs> Helicopter. Yeah, yes. Steps, llama. Step you do know llama. there's a llama emoji has been approved by the International Emoji Board. So there's a llama emoji. I'm, I'm told by Adrian Michael Reese as well that Brands Hatch are using the full Grand Prix track, not the Indy circuit that DTM really? has used. Yes. So that, I think I'm going to have to check the dates for that and see if I'm not working anywhere else. That's well, well, well. I, I love the idea of... of um, Pit boards being hung out with with little emojis on them. If that now actually happens, we need to uh, claim some credit for that. Formula emoji, copyright Graham Goodwin. That's that's <laughs> yours, mate. That is fantastic <laughs> stuff. Uh, does, uh, uh, forgive me for saying this because I like I, you know I went to the final round of the of the championship last year. I went to the last time they it raced was, at Brands Hatch. It was, so did I. Uh, it was great. I, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. It is done in a grand style in in the way that we haven't seen in the UK for a very, very long time. And there's a lot, mostly because there's a lot of money being spent on it by the original equipment manufacturers, which we haven't seen in mm-hmm. other forms of motorsport, be it GT, touring cars or whatever pretty much anywhere else in Europe um, even in the World Championship it, I mean Graham seriously I, I don't know if you've been to one it puts the World oh, Endurance yeah. Championship paddock to shame it I've is not been, extraordinary I've only ever been to one DTM race so I've got to tell you by the way it does not clash with IMSA it's on the 11th and 12th of August so mm. it will be af- the weekend after Road America so, some, uh, somebody then in that case absolutely uh, weekend after Road America is Canadian Time Motorsport Park. Uh, oh no, Road America. Road America. No, Sorry, no, that's Watkins Glen. I've got that the wrong way. Correct. Um, being, being it's the 11th and 12th of August, surely one of the emojis has to be a grouse. Oh, mm. almost certainly. Mm. That, that, that so when did you go to DTM, Graham? Well, here you go. This is back in um, Opel Astra Coupe oh, days. Yes. Uh, and so that's I ITC think... days. Uh, no, 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 way, way after that. Well. This, yeah. this right. was DTM with the kind of the gullwing doored Astras. Oh, yes, yes. Um, and I'm pretty certain that, uh, unsurprisingly, it was Donington Park and Bernd Schneider won in a CLK. Oh, those were the days. Those were the days. It is an extraordinary thing. A huge amount of money being spent on it. It does strike me, however, that they are rather rearranging the the deck chairs on the Titanic in what is the last season of all of their manufacturers and, and I, I when you've announced a, a, a freeze in technical and sporting regulations and then you bring out those kind of changes that's not an insubstantial amount are they still going to allow last year's cars to run as they have done in the past then Tim as long as they conform with the new regulations hmm. one um, final um, change and this is the least uh, exciting of all the changes <laughs> Um, right, and uh, it's a shame I should have done this earlier because it's been completely overshadowed by the emoji boards. Yes, uh, but uh, after qualifying, each car must have a minimum of two kilograms of fuel in it. Well, you're running pretty close if you've only got two kilograms of fuel. Well, it was in the previously, car. one kilogram. <laughs> right, 
Okie dokie. Uh, well, that 11th and 12th of the UK, I, I mean, it's not a series that we cover, but I mean, if you haven't been to see it, and it's the last year that you've got the three big German manufacturers in it before Mercedes leave, then get down there, because it is an extraordinary thing to see. Uh, and I'm not even sure they've got enough space in the paddock at Brands Hatch to put everything. It, it, it takes up a lot of space. It's it, just a two-day meeting as well, John. Um, yes, because correct. of the, the the restrictions on the dates you can use correct. the Grand Prix circuit, it'll be just a two-day meeting Saturday and Sunday. Uh, that tends to be the DTM way now. Practice qualifying and the race, and then the next day, practice qualifying and the race. It, they are two single-day meetings. It, it's extremely well organised. Um, and I, I, I was tremendously impressed uh, by it that's not what i went to see i was there to do the legends the tt legends, legends yeah. which was thoroughly enjoyable in itself <laughs> uh, and we're still waiting to find out if they're coming back because I, just, are, I, just, have I, thought, of, uh, I thought you were about to say just we're still waiting to find the final result yeah, well <laughs> i think we still are um yes um the the uh, there was a thought that, that, I mean, it was supposed to be the last weekend for those cars, and that was why the legends were let out. And um, uh, so, But apparently that they may have been given a reprieve, so we might see them back. Um, we've got five minutes left, Tim. Where do you want to take us? And are we keeping Graham? Uh, we don't have to keep Graham anymore. We're going to go to IndyCar. Ah, right, OK. Graham, thank you very much indeed. Uh, have was a, a pleasure. Have a great weekend, and keep your feet warm. Cheers, mate. Cheers, mate. Graham Goodwin, editor of dailysportsguard.com. Uh, with that exclusive, by the way, that we are going to see uh, some tyre battles in LMP2 class of FIAWEC with Dragon Speed going to Michelin uh, for 2018-19 season. 2018-19 season, yes. 2019-20 uh, is the first proper new WEC season. But this is the transition series season, and uh, that is Dragon Speed going to Michelin then. Tim, what have you got to finish up the show? Some IndyCar news, you said. People don't realise just how easy it is to crash into a snowbank. <laughs> what, in an IndyCar? Said reigning Verizon IndyCar Series champion, Joseph Newgarden. Right. Uh, who enjoyed his uh, rally cross on ice debut oh, yes. so much that he's already plotting his return. Yeah, there was quite a few people went to do that rally cross on ice. Uh, well, Penske have had a team all season, and yeah. it had been Austin Sindrick. Uh, yeah, I was talking to Tim Sindrick about it at Daytona, funny enough, and saying, weekend. Was, was he going to go to Bathurst? And that was the reason that Tim and Austin Sindrick didn't go down to Bathurst, yes. because that was the clashing commitment. Uh, but Joseph Newgarden took over the car for uh, last weekend in uh, the Swedish town of Ale. A-L-E? No, A-L. All right, Al. And, uh, you call me Al. Gilles de Fran, I believe, is going to... Oh, brilliant. Is it Gilles de Fran or is it Helio Castroneves? It's uh, one of the two. It's a right. Brazilian is going to uh, have it for the third. <laughs> well done in researching this story perfectly, by the way. Uh, I want to move on because we're running out of time. Uh, more IndyCar news. Right. Uh, and this is IndyCar news tomorrow. Right. Tomorrow's uh, news today. Tomorrow's news today. Uh, unless you're in Australia where it's already tomorrow mm-hmm. and you'll find out later that uh, Drew and Reinbold Racing will enter the Indy 500 with Sage Karam. Right. Uh, it'll be his fifth consecutive Indy 500 and he's fourth with uh, Drew and Reinbold Racing. He'll drive the number 24. Uh, the official announcement will be made tomorrow in a live IndyCar press conference. Excellent. What well, we... Managed not to have time for Marshall Pruitt this week again. 
NASCAR news. Uh, right, okay. Uh, Rodney Childers, the crew chief of Kevin Harvick, has been fined £10,000 for uh, being one nut short of a full set. Right, okay. <laughs> uh, Harvick won the Folds of Honor Quick Trip 500, mm-hmm. uh, but only had four lug nuts on one of his wheels, uh, as was discovered in a post-race inspection, but he hasn't been disqualified. Uh, just uh, the crew has been fined. Meanwhile, uh, the winner of the previous race, uh, the Daytona 500 winner Austin Dillon, mm-hmm. uh, has a tattoo which he says only his wife Whitney will see. I really don't need to know that. I really don't know, need to know that. He told uh, reporters that it hurt. Well, that tends to happen, doesn't it? When you have a tattoo, it doesn't matter Partic- where you get it, it's going to hurt. Particularly there, I think. What, there? Oh, there. Right, okay. And finally... Worked well on uh, radio. <laughs> doesn't it? Uh, finally, uh, some V8 Supercars news. Ah, yes. Uh, and uh, Vodafone has uh, announced that it will continue to be the sponsor of the safety car, medical car and course cars for the next three years. Their season starts shortly, doesn't it? It does. Um, There's been a flurry of uh, V8 Supercar announcements. Excellent. Um, looking forward to that getting underway uh, this weekend uh, the Adelaide 500. Let's go to Adelaide. Is the time? That probably is. Yeah, uh, I, I was going to say something else there. Not if I, you're listening to the podcast or repeat. You probably haven't got time. Yeah, I, I've got distracted there. I was going to uh, say something um, about... And I can't remember what it was. It's completely got out of my head. Soon as you mentioned supercars, and it was like, oh, shiny. And I immediately went to the supercar site uh, to, to go and have a look, because I had a, a suspicion that it started this weekend, and it does. That means I've got something to watch at the weekend, hopefully. And that's about all we've got time for this evening. I know what I was going to say. Can you... Um, I know you played it just before, but can you play the inside McLaren Senna thing straight after the show? Yes. Again, please. Um, so stay tuned, because we were talking about the McLaren Senna, and Andy Palmer from McLaren, not the Aston Martin one, uh, just before Christmas, showed me around the car in a little exclusive uh, for us here uh, on a midweek motorsport, or on RS1, should I say. Uh, and that will be coming up next. Um, in the meantime, don't forget we'll be back next week. Nick and Tim joining me and the rest of the team. Our responsible adult uh, was Eve Hewitt tonight. And uh, we're celebrating. Uh, someone dug out the original No Time to Explain Get in the Llama. And uh, I'd forgotten about the Wellington boots, but there's no time to explain because the Wellington boots are really needed this weekend in the UK. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.